Create, connect, communicate. Create, connect, communicate. Where'd you guys rehearse that? There's a dance studio near Zhangshan Station. Okay. I don't know exactly what it's called. Dude, you went all out. You yeah. Went to a dance studio. That's commitment right there. Well, I would not do that. Well, my wife spent <laughs> 10 minutes on YouTube watching like simple wedding dance choreography. Oh, and then really? after 10 minutes of us looking at it, I'm like, let's just pay a teacher. Like we're not, yeah. we're not going to learn this. <laughs> so you just literally just found her. We asked our wedding planner. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. They have all their, that's all the their key. People. The key of you start a wedding business is not to start an Instagram page. It's to make friends with five wedding planners and just get all your True, customers from there. Exactly. And build a network of different five, services. You find like five wedding planners, one service. Exactly. That's a huge business. Thinking of changing careers. I think every single tech entrepreneur person who has a wedding thinks about changing careers yeah. for about 10 minutes. After the wedding. But then you realize that the uh, wedding industry has a 100% churn rate for customers. <laughs> not necessarily. Like in the States, you know, divorce rate is 50%. You're not so. going to go with the same wedding planner. Oh, I see. You're not going to go to the same wedding venue under any circumstances. Under, yeah. It's great margins, but it's 100% churn rate. Yeah, you got to hedge your bets. You need a side, uh, like funeral business. And no, then, uh, no, the key, I think the key for that would be referrals. You got to triple down on referrals because it's just a big leaky bucket of all your customers always disappear. Yeah, exactly. You just need to find the right group, group of friends. Yeah. A lot of money and <laughs> in love. Get every single Deep person. in love, yeah. exactly. Then wait till they have children and... Yeah, that's the game on that Rinse, side. repeat. Yeah. Nice and simple business. And it's happy, generally yeah. speaking. It's Yeah, it's happy. It's, <laughs> I think it's generally happy. It's, it's, we've been happy the whole time, so. Yeah, it does depend because there's some stressful uh, behind the scenes, you know. Yeah, and also a lot of people have unrealistic expectations. I used to run mm. events, so I have very realistic expectations of how hard an event is yes, to run. right. And so that's why I didn't even think about planning my own wedding. Yes, like, exactly. <laughs> like I know how hard this is. I don't want to deal with this. Okay. So we will just uh, tell your story. Talk about all kinds of stuff. Does that sound good? Yeah, sounds great. Yeah. Don't worry. I'll, I will give you a little bit of a introduction first and then we'll, we'll just go from there. Okay, cool. All right. Here we go, sir. Good afternoon and welcome back to another episode of Firelight Chats, where we broadcast the most super natural and compelling Voices and stories from our Space Lab studio here in Da'an, Taipei, Taiwan. In today's first post-Lunar New Year episode of the Year of the Dragon and just a Cupid's arrow away from St. Valentine's, we are gathered here on this glorious day to celebrate life through the impending promises of matrimony. Yao Mingshan, American Village Ceremonies, that hopefully won't lead to a trail up through the meandering mountains of bliss and down towards an endless valley of alimony. For better, for worse, through sickness and universal healthcare and the melding of two cultures, Canada and Taiwan, together, happily ever after. But before this man fully becomes half of a whole new world, 
Let us look back on this singular life that will soon become once the one he called his own. A story that starts in Ontario, Canada, in a city called Windsor, located on the south bank of a river that separates two countries, literally directly across from the Motor City, the town that put the world on wheels, otherwise known as Motown or Detroit Rock City in the state of Michigan, where yours truly also happened to be born. Many years later, our stories would cross again in the USA as this Canadian guest of ours somehow managed to cross the border and eventually, mysteriously, make his way to California in the state where my alien parents had also infiltrated at some undisclosed and unidentified time and place in the past. In that there city of angels, he chased the dream, becoming a metalhead musician getting his first taste of stand-up comedy, working for the NFL and a project to stream the Super Bowl, and otherwise engineering a life made possible through technology. From visa issues in the States to golden visas in Taiwan, from swiping right in quarantine hotels to meeting the one, from open mics to performing at two, three, comedy, from tech company to tech company, from public speaking to co-hosting Taiwan digital drinks, toasting, and all of this coming Uroboros, full circle from whence this introduction started, getting married in Taiwan in the year of the dragon. So with that, from the new moon to exploding lanterns to the crackling of good fortune fireworks, we're back from the holidays. Mocha and I, sitting here in the space lab per usual, basking in the sparks sprinkling from the dark sky and surround sounding us with an auspicious glow. Ready and eager to freestyle chat with and indulge in the super natural stories of our special guests for this latest episode of Firelight Chats, the one and only Mr. James, aka Jamie. Hush, hush, baby, too cold, too cold. Thanks so much. That's a solid. That's the most solid intro I've ever I've ever received or in the universe. I've, I've definitely. I've appreciate that. <laughs> so kind of worried about the rest of the podcast now. Exactly. How well, <laughs> well scripted that was. So, but uh, thank you, sir. Yeah, really excited to be here. You got a really nice studio. I can see Steve right over there in his window over there. I know. <laughs> The famous Steve. We will be talking about technology today, so we have to pay homage to the gods yeah. that come before us. We're talking about Steve Chen, the co-founder of YouTube, just lives in this apartment building that we can see across from exactly. this Exactly. Yeah. He may be watching us right now. No, I think he's too busy. In his PJs. <laughs> yeah. He's like, Jamie, Jamie is on. Yeah, yeah. I got to watch. Let's go. I got to watch live and then listen to it later. Mm. Welcome, sir. How are you today? How's it going? As I mentioned in the introduction, the wedding is coming. Wedding is coming, yes. So it's it's going. We're actually in a good we're in a good position on the planning front. You kind of mentioned the intro, but I've run events before, and so I knew this was going to be a bit tricky. <laughs> so I've had that prepared in advance. We got the venue, we got all the vendors, all the deposits paid. We got taking dance classes right now. We got a cute wedding dance going to be prepared. I know you just mentioned that. This weekend, that was what you were doing. Yeah, we got uh, we got to learn two minutes of choreography in the next eight weeks, which 
sounds extremely doable, <laughs> but as you're in the thick of it, it's a, it's a little bit trickier than it looks. I know. And can this white boy dance? I can dance the the moves that were taught to me over the last couple of weeks. It's just like I can dance as well as I can speak Chinese. So I can walk into any coffee shop mm. and I'm like, like I got, I got it. <laughs> you got blah, it. Blah, blah, blah. But the moment they ask me a question that's out of the choreography, I'm, exactly. I'm done. And it's the same with the dancing. So <laughs> I can do exactly these moves. But when the next song plays, I'm like, I don't know, man. Like, this is all we got. That's amazing. That's so Taiwanese, right? Following the SOP. Oh, and yeah. as we mentioned before, you're very Taiwanese in that way. I'm, yeah, we'll, we'll find that out throughout this. Episode. I definitely feel like I'm Taiwanese in a past life because I'm, uh, I'm what do you like to call a rule follower? I know you are a rule follower. I'm, you are an engineer. I'm a big fan of thinking inside of the box. Inside, just stay inside that box. Yeah, there's a reason why they made the box. It's a great box. <laughs> it's been tested. It's carried a lot of stuff. I'm, I'm a big fan of that. Yeah. Right. So that's how you kind of went about this dance preparation thing as well. Yeah, so I reverse engineered the dance. So first we went to YouTube and Googled cute, easy wedding dance choreography. Okay. Within 15 minutes, we realized there's no way. We're not. No, I'm like, too creative. Too creative. So, <laughs> and I do the same thing what I do whenever I run into a problem. If I can't find the answer on Google or YouTube after 15 minutes, I try to find someone to teach me how to do it. Right. So for Chinese, I was finding a Chinese teacher after watching one YouTube video, <laughs> which is a common path everyone's seen. You watch one YouTube video explaining what tones are and you're like, no, exactly. Here we go. Need a professional. And for the dance one, what we did was we just asked her wedding planner if she knew any people who taught wedding dances. And of course she did. That's her job. That is the job. Exactly. She connected us with someone and it's been really fun. Actually, out of all the wedding stuff, and I tell this to everyone on my single friends, out of all the wedding events we've been doing and all the planning, this has been the most fun. And I know most mm. of the guys, when I say that, give me a look like, I like, are you sure, You're man? Nuts. And like yeah. saying that cause she's here. No, right. like it's been, no, it's been the most, it's been super cute, super fun. Wow. And it's gonna, I think it's gonna, it's gonna turn out. Well, it's. Yeah. You don't know how it's gonna turn out. <laughs> it's gonna turn out fine because I've been to like, it's most of my friends, Westerners, and I've been to uh, a bunch of their weddings and none of them planned any sort of dance. Okay. And so what they end up doing is just like dancing in a circle for three minutes. Right. And so I know we'll beat that. Yes. Uh, you are 100%. going above and beyond. Yeah. You're actually thinking outside the box here, sir. <laughs> <laughs> there is a chance. Yeah. There's a chance for everything. So it's going to be, it's going to be fun. And kind of like my whole life, I've always been on the intersection of like performing arts and tech. So mm. I've been a big fan of performing arts ever since I was a kid. I had a band back in high school. I was in drama class, drama club in high school. So I always really, really liked to be on stage. Mm. But I also liked playing with computers. I liked learning to code. I liked making websites and that kind of thing. And so my whole life has always been like, how do I combine tech and performing arts? <laughs> like how do, how do I do both? So that's been that's been the big one because I've realized in tech, you can make a lot of money, but a lot of times it's not that fun. Mm. Performing arts... It's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's the other side of that coin. Uh, but it's a lot of but, fun. <laughs> but you don't make any money. Yeah, if I can break even on comedy mm. in 2024, that'll be a very good profitable year. Okay, nice. Um, we'll get to that as well. Yep. So that was, I think, a kind of a perfect entry point into your childhood. You grew up in Canada mm -hmm. in a manufacturing town called Windsor, Ontario, Canada. Yeah, I'd like to say Windsor was like the Shinju of Canada. Right. That's how you referred to it last time. Shinju of Canada. Shinju of Canada. So it's one of the things, it wasn't too small, but it wasn't too big. It was just, it was, I think it was like 250,000 people. Okay. So it was like just 
kind of it's a good normal, size. just right. normal-ish. And there's a lot of really great people I grew up with there. But the whole time it was, it was kind of a sinking ship. <laughs> Unfortunately, it was a sinking ship when I was there because it was really heavy in the manufacturing space. So when 2008 came around, a lot of the car companies pulled out. So our big thing was, was having car factories. Mm. And so my dad, he told me, he used to work at the Chrysler factory. He told me, don't worry, I got school figured out. I got all the money figured out for school for you, for university. I got you a job in the car factory. Use that money to pay for school. Right. <laughs> like, okay, cool. So I worked in the Chrysler car factory for about a year, just on weekends to pay for school. And from there, I was able to get my first software engineering internship, Okay, which I actually took a pay cut for. From, from the manufacturing. Car factory. Yeah, because it was a That's union gig. Because it was a union job. Right. Um, and so a bunch of my friends were like, oh, you're going from double minimum wage to only 1.25 minimum wage. Oh, that's so stupid, blah, blah. I'm like, guys, <laughs> like, yes, but I don't know if you know about the career path of a factory worker. Right. Well, it was a good, honest living. And I'll never say anything down to him, but there's a very hard ceiling. <laughs> for, mm. <laughs> like, it only it's takes like you about, roof. yeah, it takes you about, 20 minutes to master a job on the assembly line like you can't do the job any better and, and you do that for job. 40 years yeah exactly. it's a hard job yeah right but you master it after about 20 minutes so what were you doing in the chrysler car factory so i was a temporary part-time worker so they had a program it was actually harder to get into this car factory than it was to get into google oh interesting uh, yeah okay because a union gig and so they had these open slots for specifically for people who were going to school going to university going to college the idea was if you're an employee at chrysler one of your benefits is you can like get one of your kids in to work during the summers okay and it was a good it was a great job like uh it's just like shinju with the guanxi the family yeah. guanxi so the only difference was this was written down in paper on a union contract but okay. shinju is just like it's there's cultural. not yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's not on paper. It's, exactly. Yeah, everyone knows it's the exact same thing, but everyone, right. it's very spelled out on the other one. That's funny. Uh, so that's how I was able to get in. And so like mm. getting into the car factory was like, if you get in the car factory, you're like rich. I right. was like an 18 year old. I was making like double minimum wage at the time, which is super rich. This is the richest I ever felt. Right. right. <laughs> was that car factory Was the car factory money. But I realized like, I hate the weather here. I hate the snow. I remember Microsoft came to my university campus one day and uh, they were like advertising internships at Microsoft. And I was like, this looks great. At the time, my buddy, his name was Scott. He got an internship at Amazon in Seattle. And my first thought was like, wait, Scott got a job at Amazon? Right. I'm like, Scott's not smart at all. <laughs> I'm like, Shout out to Scott. I mean, he is a little bit smart. I'm like, he's a bit smarter than me, but he's not that much. And so he inspired me to apply for Microsoft in Silicon Valley. So I had an internship in Microsoft Silicon Valley. And when I got to California, I'm like, this is a better deal. Mm. I remember... The first day I was at the Microsoft internship, my boss told me, because I was riding a bicycle there. She's like, oh, I live on the way near you. So if you ever need a ride, just give me a call. I was like, oh, if it ever rains, I'll give you a call. And her, oh, she funny. just responded with, oh, it doesn't rain here. And I was like, wait a sec, it doesn't rain here? She's like, yeah. I'm like, it must rain a little. <laughs> She's like, no, in the summer, it doesn't rain. She's like, this is not Seattle. And then I proceeded for the rest of that afternoon talking to every single intern, the ones from California. Like, so my manager told me it doesn't rain here. Do you know what she means by that? <laughs> so yeah, it doesn't rain. That's funny. And so for the whole summer, I rode my bike to Microsoft every day. It slightly rained once for uh. about four minutes and then it stopped and it was fine. Why was it in Northern California rather than Seattle? 
Uh, so this was the Microsoft Silicon Valley campus. campus so this was okay. their like uh, Silicon Valley headquarters. It was just 15 minute walk away from Google. It's to basically to get the talent who was living in Silicon Valley. Right. I see. And what were you doing there? I was an uh, intern for the Hotmail. So Microsoft Outlook, it was called, but internally we still called it Hotmail. I made a computer program that would scan all the Windows test servers and make sure that all the Windows updates were applied and then made a little graph. So that way my boss, if somebody on another team blamed our team for like not fixing something, my boss could go with his graph and be like, they haven't patched their servers in six months. Right, right, right. <laughs> like right, it's right, not right. our fault. I was treated extremely well there. I was very happy there, but inside of me, I've always wanted to do startup stuff for some gosh forsaken reason. <laughs> I was like, nah, I still want to do like some startup stuff. Also, I wanted to live in Los Angeles mm. because a big chunk of me, I had a metal band back in high school. And so I still had a dream of being a rock star. Not only incredibly realistic if it was the 80s, but <laughs> even more realistic in the early 2000s because that's when, like, because people don't really listen to rock music. <laughs> but because of that, I went and got a job over in Los Angeles. Okay. And I found the startiest startup I could find. I was employee number 11 at a startup called GoGuardian. Uh, we did internet filtering for schools, for Chromebooks for schools. I so see. Basically blocked Pornhub. That's, right. That's, that's the whole, that, was, <laughs> that was the MO. That was how we test. Every time we did a release, we typed Pornhub.com. Right. And if it loaded, we're it, like, uh oh, uh -oh. let's <laughs> watch. And if it didn't load, we're like, okay, good, ship it. And that was super start. Like the CEO, CTO were all the same age as me. We're all 22, mm. 22 years old. We didn't have an office. So we lived together, like four or five of us lived together in this like three bedroom place in Hermosa Beach, California. So I shared a bedroom with the CTO. There was kind of a fake wall too. So the CEO, the CTO and myself all shared a bedroom. I see. And so with I the, did the whole sleep on the floor thing for about six weeks, which is great because I saved a month's worth of rent. And right. because I'd moved from Canada to America, I had no credit history. So I needed the extra gas to get the apartment. And you know what? I'm not the only person who has like the sleep on the floor in California story. It's a very common, oh, for sure. <laughs> a very 100%. common story. And you know what? It's completely fine. Like my back hurt a little bit, but like I was 22, it was fine. And then it's my back stopped hurting after a week of moving into my other place. So it was not a big deal. So I want to ask you about Microsoft. Do you still have a Hotmail account? So that's a great story. So on my resume, when I applied in college, I changed my resume. I signed up for an Outlook.com account and changed the email on the resume from my Gmail to Outlook.com before applying. Oh, And they all said I didn't have to do that, but I think it helped, <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, so it wasn't even Hotmail. It was actually Outlook. Yeah, so internally everything was Hotmail because it was still running Hotmail, but they did the rebrand a few years after I joined. Okay. Uh, but internally, I was still calling Hotmail because if you change the server names, it might break everything. So yes, <laughs> I see. Okay, so this was kind of the start of your Southern California dream of chasing kind of fame and fortune. I joke around the reason why I moved to Los Angeles and not San Francisco is because you moved to San Francisco to be rich, but you moved to Los Angeles to be rich and famous. Yes, <laughs> so that was the dream. Yeah, the dream was definitely, there was always a dream in the back of my head of being on stage in front of a lot of people. That was the big pull for Los Angeles. And when I was there, I met a few guys who do YouTube full-time. One was a uh, Trey from Gear Gods and then Warren Heward from Produce Like a Pro. And I met them because the guy who recorded my high school metal bands album in Canada, he became a YouTuber teaching people how to write and record heavy metal music. That's Glenn 
from Spectre Media Group. So it was his early videos, he did like a video of like Axe Effects versus this amp. And that was like my amp that he was using <laughs> to, oh, to demo. Okay. So he started building up a following. I think he had like 60,000 subscribers at the time. From there, he started meeting other YouTubers that were in California. And I met Trey, who at the time had like 30, 40,000 subscribers. Mm. And he needed a place to stay. And uh, my girlfriend and I had just broken up. She had like just left the house. Okay. And so I, I, yeah. <laughs> so he, he came and lived with me for like a month. And from there, because his channel is all about how to write and record music, how to write music, how to write songs. He had a band that was all his where he wrote all the music called In Virtue. And he showed me some of the demos he was working on. I'm like, this is pretty much exactly the kind of music I wanted to write, but I don't have the time to write it. Mm. <laughs> and also, like, you're much better guitar than I am. So like, so he needed a bass player. I'm like, I can buy a bass. Like, let's go. <laughs> Let's play the so easier guitar bass. part. Yeah, so I bought a bass. I'm like, because at the at the time I was 22, I was going to these five dollar shows in Los Angeles, and all the guitar players were ten times better than me. Right. And I'm like, there's no way. I'm no. like, just like in Silicon Valley, you have the best engineers in the world moving there. Mm. Like you have the best guitar players in the world. Like friend of a friend, he was from Japan, and he played guitar for Baby Metal when they went on tour with Lady Gaga. And I'm Ooh, like, I'm not. He and they're still like waiting tables in the side. Yeah, he's still like not, has no money. I'm like, this, no. <laughs> I'm like rich exactly. and famous. <laughs> we need, we need that both. That is the equation, exactly. We need both. Like, if you're just famous, it doesn't really mean anything. Well, it's cool. <laughs> go big or go home. I mean, just go to Whole Foods or go home, right? Like, <laughs> Go pay rent or yeah, don't go home. Exactly, man. exactly. Oh, wow. Okay, so you joined this band? Is that what happened? And yeah, so I joined, I was kind of like bass player slash project manager. That's how I joked around. Because whenever he would have like a vision for a music video, it's like, oh, this is what I want to do. And then I would open up a Google spreadsheet <laughs> and I figure out how much everything would cost, <laughs> do the budgeting. And then from there, I'd like pitch the budget to the other, there's like five of us. Uh, one of them was my close friend, from Canada. I got him an engineering job. He was actually a guitar player in my high school band. I got him an engineering job in Los Angeles. And I was like, oh, just play guitar. And now we'll just continue the same thing in LA. That's hilarious. Uh, so me and him both had engineering jobs. And then the singer was doing YouTube. And then we had drummer and keyboard player who were just like trying to do freelance music stuff. What kind of music is this? How can you describe this metal band? I was like, uh, heavy metal was singing. Like power metal mixed with modern metal. That's a good way Ooh, to put it. So okay. imagine Iron Maiden with seven string guitars. That's really. Oh, interesting. But uh, that's still something that like uh, Trey, he's the one who does gear gods. That's still something he's pushing. And I'm just basically on the sidelines. I'm ready. Right, like right, the moment right. he has a tour, I tag along. Right. <laughs> <laughs> because you don't need to be the best in the world. You just need to be able to play the six songs. <laughs> Really? What? Exactly. Over and over again. Inside the those box. Six. Yeah. Inside, inside the, the box. box. Playing these six songs. I'm going to play them really well. Like exactly. it's going to be great. Like even if you're the best bass player in the world, you're only going to play like 5% better than me. So you know, that, Metallica's lead singer, James Hetfield, mm. graduated from my high school. Oh, that's fun. I know. So I was a huge Metallica fan when I was growing up. That was in the South Bay, right? No, it was in Brea, California, oh. Orange County. That is where James is from. That's funny. So who are some of your inspirational bands growing up? Metallica, for sure. Yes. Like you can't, you can't go wrong with Metallica. I know. Uh, Motley Crue. That was another one for me. Motley Crue. Do you know Steel Panther? No, I don't. Oh, 
you got Steel Panther. So these guys were a Motley Crue cover band. Oh, okay. interesting. Okay. And so they were making good money as a cover band. Then one day they started just, the singer started ad-libbing the lyrics and changing the lyrics in the song. Kind of like what Weird Al was doing. He yeah, started yeah, changing yeah, the lyrics okay. in the song. But they're all really excellent musicians because they were playing like eight times a week. Right. As a cover, like a real Motley Crue stuff. Yeah, right. Motley Crue and hair metal stuff. And then they released an album that just sounds like Motley Crue hair metal. But they have a fake story where they pretend they were like a famous band in the 80s. I was all washed up and addicted to drugs. And now they're back. And there's oh, it's so hilarious. funny. They have they're a, so funny. A creation story. Yeah, they have a fake creation story. And they just pretend that they're really stupid and like douchey on stage. So they're oh. like, they take like the Motley Crue 80s hair metal stereotype and like just dial it up. And Amazing. that's their character. They're so good. And they're excellent musicians. Oh. <laughs> Steel Panther. Steel Panther. Okay. They're so funny. Their music does sound pretty sexist and everything. So if you take so if it you out- love sexism, there you go. <laughs> if you love sexism, you love this band. But it's one of those things where <laughs> that's the joke. Right, right, right. It's like right. dialed up. And so if you don't know it's a joke, you might be like confused. Like, wait, wait. You might wait, get angry. What's going on here? <laughs> try to cancel them. Yeah. But you can't cancel Steel Panther though. You cannot. It's like Black Panther. Yeah. You cannot. Don't mess with them. Yes. So- that was a big one. Metallica was a big one. And then growing up, I listened to a lot of just Trivium, listened to Architects a lot, Bring Me the Horizon, some of the really heavy stuff. But it's funny too when people, especially because I got my engineer shirt on and my engineer classes. Right. And so they're like, wait, what? Really? That was the whole thing. But yeah, that was a big part of my life was running concerts. So I used to run four or five concerts a month when I was in college. Like that was another way I was making money to pay for school. And that's how I got connected to learning how to run events. And that led eventually, I was running the engineering team for an online virtual events company. And that's how I came to Taiwan right. <laughs> for that. So it all kind of came together on that side. During this time, did you have like long hair? I had super long hair. I had oh, the hair down to my shoulders. Yeah. No way. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Shooting up heroin. No, because no, the metal is that's the problem with metal is uh, it's all nerds. You have to sit down and practice a lot. <laughs> it's just like going to the gym. Eventually, when you go to the gym enough, you're not impressing girls anymore. You're just impressing other buff guys. That's right. That's basically what happens in metal. The metal gym bros, basically. Yeah, they don't like <laughs> girls don't care if you can play really fast. Like they don't. No. Right. <laughs> they don't care if you can do like crazy sweet picking, which I spent a lot of time learning how to do. But the other metal bros all cared. So like no drugs, no anything, just practicing guitar. Like Trey, your guys, he doesn't even drink. I hardly ever even drink. I joke around. I say that I'm not cool enough to do drugs. Right. <laughs> that up. Yes, kids. You heard that here. Yeah. <laughs> so were you performing? Performing a lot. So in high school, college, a lot. College, especially. We had an album. We had a music video. We did small tours in uh, like Southern Ontario. I booked everything myself, talking to people over MySpace at the time, MySpace and Facebook. And that's how I got an intro to uh, enterprise sales. Oh, good. <laughs> I realized that now that I work more, I work closely with the sales team at my current job. I was like, this is basically what I was doing with my crappy metal band, except instead of trying to get $100 deals, we're getting a lot more than $100 deals. I'm like, but it's the same amount of effort. It's actually a little bit less effort on the tech side. So, so in the end, did you reach that level of fame and stardom? That's fine. No. One of the things I've realized too, especially coming to Asia, this has really changed my perspective on that a lot. Two things that have changed my perspective a lot. One working enterprise sales and one coming to Asia. First on the enterprise sales side, I realized you really only need like five to 10 customers, hmm. period. Right. You've actually- For B2B, especially. Correct. Enterprise, yeah. B2B and B2C are very, very different beasts. 
Mm -hmm. B2B is like you talk to a company, you're like, we solve this problem. And then the company responds back, actually, we kind of need this problem solved. And then you come back, it's like, ah, we do that too. Mm -hmm. That's B2B, very, very simple. And a lot of it's just doing that and then following up over and over again because companies are slow and that's okay. Mm -hmm. I got time. Yeah. B2C is you're not selling a solution to a problem. You're selling like a lifestyle. Exactly. <laughs> like with, you're selling IG, some great marketing. Like I got this OK Cafe coffee right now from OK Mart. And I bought that because I value saving money. Mm. <laughs> you're so Taiwanese again. I got the Taiwanese, like this is cheaper than the 7-Eleven coffee. It was slightly closer. So I value, because me as a human being value convenience and frugality, I got this coffee. Right. And mm -hmm. so they didn't have to spend a lot of marketing dollars to reach me. Their only marketing dollars is putting the sign in front. That's it. Versus something like I also have an iPhone in front of me. <laughs> and the iPhone is probably because I value convenience. Mm, that's your excuse. <laughs> that's the main one. And there's a part of you, like any Apple person, who's like, I don't want to be a poor person. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Which obviously I'm saying that joking because the new Android, like the new Google phone, the camera is actually technically better than the new iPhone. Mm, it's fine. True. But yeah. I'm like, but this iPhone matches the same color as my MacBook. So it does. What are we going to do? It's shiny. It's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. So that's the issue with B2C. So where people, I think especially new entrepreneurs or people starting a business, you see more B2C stuff <laughs> because you are a C, you are a consumer. Right. So you see the cafes, you see the uh, the YouTubers who have like 3 million subscribers. You see the Instagram people and you're like, oh, that's how you got to do it. You got to get a million subscribers. You got to get whatever followers. You got to open up a coffee store and get like 100 customers. And it's all about getting more customers. But then what I've realized is on the B2B front, an easier way to go about it in a more profitable way is what I like to say, like the Louis Vuitton method. So my wife's cousin works for Louis Vuitton hmm. at Taipei 101. And he told us that his main job is to not sell things to people because Louis Vuitton's whole thing is exclusivity. Exclusivity. Interesting. So he said, for example, they sell furniture. So you could buy a Louis Vuitton table. But when you try to buy the table, they send somebody to your house and look at your whole house and take pictures of your house. And if they don't think your whole house fits Louis Vuitton, they won't sell you the table. That's really how it works. Eric. That's really how it works. That's interesting. Yeah, it's smart because they don't want somebody like me Right. Who who, no way. Who has a good amount of money. I could, Jamie Hush. I could afford to buy my wife a Louis Vuitton bag. Just the one bag, though. Right. But if they see, like, me holding a Louis Vuitton thing, like, with my shorts and my... <laughs> They go into your Stupid house. engineer. They go, if they go in my house, like, yo, you're not fitting no, with the brand. No, you are not putting our table in there. And other Louis Vuitton people, if they see me with a little bit of Louis Vuitton stuff, they're like, I don't want to be associated with this freaking engineer guy who's like, not, not even wearing matching socks. It dilutes their brand. So my point there is if you start a business and you, instead of trying to get 100 customers or 1,000 customers, you try to get five or 10 that are really good customers. High quality, exactly. It's a life changer. So that's what I did with my wife. She teaches Chinese. Mm. And <laughs> I was like, we got to figure out a way for you to charge more money. I'm like, mm. come on. I'm like, you're a good teacher. Like, come on. She's like, well, how are we going to do that? And we realized group classes were the biggest margin. But then we're like, oh, how are we going to get 10 people? Right. It's such a pain. Like trying to find 10, make 10 individual sales to come to all to be in one group class. It's a pain. Then you have to find a space. And then mm. I realized, how about this? How about we target businesses? Because <laughs> they already mm -hmm. have people. And so because of that, we were able to find a manufacturing company in Taiwan. What 10 Indian engineers with masters and PhDs 
So they're good at studying. Right. <laughs> they're good at studying. They have real jobs. This manufacturing company just wanted them to learn more Chinese because yes. everyone else in the company spoke Chinese except for these 10. And so because of that, it took a few months of going back and forth because you know, big companies, they got to get approval from 12 different people. Everyone has an opinion on how to teach Chinese for some reason. That's interesting. Uh, but now she's been working with this company uh, once a week for a year and she's been getting great margins. Right. <laughs> and there's only one person she has to deal with billing, not 10. Yep. And they're a huge manufacturing company. So they literally lose more money dropping it on the ground than what they're paying her. That's an example of it took us a longer time to get that one customer. But now the churn for this customer is going to be like nothing. <laughs> right. So you guys went B2B model. You didn't go into like the exclusivity Louis Vuitton model where you're like turning down. No, we tried for customers. Yeah, we tried it for like I helped her at first. I sent her like because I know a lot of foreigners who don't speak Chinese. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I sent her a lot of like friends, wives and stuff like that. And mm. they're all fine, but they usually all stop learning after about three to six months. Right. So that's what we learned is she realized like, I don't need 20 students. I just need two more corporations. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then that's it. And then stick with those three to four forever. Don't have to post anything on Instagram if I don't want to. I don't have to do any TikTok dances to get a million views. <laughs> <laughs> just do good, honest work for these four places for good. So I think a lot of people who are trying to start a business, like I highly recommend just don't try to get a million people just to get like three good scalable customers. Yeah. Right. It's slower at first, but the number of headaches you have later, is much, much lower. Yeah, exactly. Is that the Asia part? You said there were two things. Oh yeah. The, the other, other one being the, the Asia, the Moving Asia, Asia part. part. I think the Asia part, when I realized is in Asia, there's so many people who are extremely famous and nobody knows about mm. in the West mm. because they don't speak English, really. Right. Uh, okay. Top example. Well, they might be able to speak English, but in the media they produce, they don't speak English. So number one example comes to my head is Jay Chow. Oh, that's our last guest is the saxophonist for Jay Chow. Yeah. Jay Chow is crushing it. Yes. By any, he is the king of Mandopop. By any metric. Selling out 60,000 people stadium. Not a single one of my friends and family know who he is. Right. <laughs> so I realized like, oh, wow, a third of the world knows this guy. Mm. And two thirds of the world don't. Have no idea. But then I realized like, you can say the same thing for some of the famous pop stars in America. Like a third of the world know him, but two thirds don't. They just don't listen to anything English. Mm. Mm -hmm. So just by nature of picking the language <laughs> you're doing the media in, you are choosing to not include two thirds of the world, period. If you do English, you've already capped yourself to one third of the world, mm. period. That's when I realized it. I think deep down inside, part of me wanted everyone to like me. <laughs> mm. But then I realized after being here and seeing like extremely successful, famous by any metric people who two thirds of the world don't know about. And then I realized, oh, the same thing applies in English. And like, just by the language you pick, you're already choosing to exclude people. Right. So you might as well keep narrowing it down to make it easier. Right, right, right. Okay. So now that we are talking about Asia and you hinted at it before this transition to Asia, can you explain about that? How did you end up going from this life chasing fortune and fame in Los Angeles to moving to Taiwan? I think it's the same as uh, most of the foreigners, Westerners here. I had uh, a couple of Asian girlfriends in Los Angeles. <laughs> How dare you? And, and it wasn't like, oh, you just liked Asian girl. Blah, blah. No, it was for some reason, the only people who'd call me back on these dating apps when I was in LA were from Taiwan or China. I was so <laughs> confused. I was very, very confused. So I remember asking- Was your profile in Chinese, sir? No, uh, until later and later I wrote- You were like, capping yourself. 
Yeah. You were capping your own limit, doing it all in English. I had to. There's no <laughs> male bonfire. There's right. No male bonfire at that yeah. time. Yeah. There's no way. So I actually, I started learning Chinese in Los Angeles because I was dating somebody from China at the oh, time. Okay. And so we decided to go visit her family in Guangzhou. And so a month beforehand, I was like, I'll just do five Chinese lessons a week for a month. Let's see how far I can get. Mm. Fun fact, you don't get very far. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so then we came back. I'm like, well, I'm already on a roll here. Mm. Let me just go, keep going. I'll do like two or three times a week. You have like two tones down. Yeah. Out of four. I was like, this is kind of fun. Let's keep going. So I was doing a uh, Chinese couple times a week online on italki, just a random teacher. It didn't really matter because like I said, I was like dumber than a five-year-old. <laughs> so like, I just needed somebody to be friendly to me. Really, right. Like <laughs> the bar was pretty low. <laughs> I wasn't worried about learning anything wrong. And at the time I was learning all simplified because mm. I'm like, oh, this person I'm dating She's from China. Maybe one day we'll go to China. Right. So that was the idea. We broke up a couple months later and I was like, well, I've already started. <laughs> like, I'm already four months into this. Let's just keep going. Finally, I'd been learning for about two years. It was in the middle of COVID in Los Angeles. So everything was locked down. I was spending a bunch of money on rent and getting no benefit of living in LA. Because the whole benefit of living in LA is making friends and going out and stuff. And then at the time, my company had screwed up my uh, immigration paperwork for my green card. So I was like, oh, crap. I'm like, here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to go get a job like Google or Facebook or Microsoft where they have immigration lawyers because my buddy had just got a job at Facebook. He's like, dude, they have immigration lawyers. They're doing everything for me. Right. It's a, there's literally a form I fill out on an internal website that does it all for me. I'm like, damn it. Uh, it was time to grow up. I started uh, studying for the job interviews because what they do is they ask you five coding questions and you have to code in front of the person, which is super annoying, but life's annoying. So whatever. And sure. so I started grinding. I bought like some courses on how to pass the interviews. and I just started grinding the questions. Same way you'd study for like the GMATs or something. I was doing right. that. The other Taiwanese part of you again. Yeah. Test preparation. I just grind. Like I'll just grind. It's fine. So I was doing that. And then part of when I was reading like how to get into Google, how to get into Facebook, they recommended, oh, set up some practice interviews for some startups mm. so you don't feel nervous. I'm like, cool. So I just set some interviews up. And one of the interviews was for an engineer manager job at an online virtual events company. I was like, oh, this is cool. And I did the interview and the time zone, the Google calendar invite was Hong Kong time. So I interviewed with a CEO and it was nighttime, his time. I was like, are you in Hong Kong right now? He's like, oh no, I'm in Taiwan. My wife's Taiwanese and uh, we're going to have a kid soon. She wants to have a baby here. And so I spend half my time Taiwan, half my time Hong Kong. I was like, yo, if I take this job, can I just move to Taiwan? He's like, yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> like, then we could work beside each other because it was a fully remote company. Mm. But I was going to be like running the engineering team. So I'm like, I'd prefer to be right beside the CEO anyway. It makes things easier. Sure. So I'm like, Oh, okay, cool. I finished that interview. And then I turned to my roommate at the time. I'm like, yeah, I'm thinking about going to Taiwan. Like I could just take the job, go to Taiwan and get paid like US salary. Oh, <laughs> so, right? My roommate at the time said, dude, my friend from high school. So my roommate's from India. It's like my friend from high school from India. He moved to Taiwan two years ago. I think he's looking for a roommate. Oh, wow. <laughs> he has a Taiwanese girlfriend who can read and write <laughs> Chinese. So I connected with him. He said, like, yeah, I'm looking for a roommate. So like my girlfriend's doing all the work to find the apartment. I'm like, great. <laughs> He's like, do you mind paying an extra month of rent? I was like, that's okay. Like, because of the moving dates. So right. I took the job, came to Taiwan. My roommate at the time joked around with me. He's like, oh, next time I see you, be at your wedding. Ha, ha, ha. Oh, right. I'm right, like, right. ha, ha, ha. He's like, I'm like, it's not going to be that easy, dude. Mm -hmm. He's like, oh, I don't, I think it'll be pretty easy, man. And 
landed in Taiwan, opened up the dating app six weeks after landing, met my wife. So <laughs> it was easier than I thought. Wow. Six weeks after. So two weeks quarantine or almost 15 days quarantine. And then just when was swiping this? on the app. This was, I moved here on Christmas. Christmas, Christmas of 23 years ago. So 2020. Okay. 2020. Because right. 2021 was a week later. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I so see. middle of COVID. And then. And you swipe right. Yeah. And uh, yeah, Taiwan just treated me so much better than America did. Like I got the the gold card visa yes. here. Super easy to get. It took me 20 minutes online to apply. The amount of hours and money I'd spend on immigration lawyers in America. Oh, right. Versus this. And then I just printed out this little thing. They're like, oh, you just show this at the airport. I'm like, are you sure? <laughs> I'm like, look at it. There's really, I'm like, this is the most forgeable document I've ever seen. <laughs> And then I showed, they're like, yeah, it's fine. Because very few foreigners were coming in anyway, because yes, middle of COVID. What category? At the time, it was uh, finance, because okay. it was like- The catch-all. Yeah, there's like, do you, you make, make more than money. 60,000 exactly. US dollars? It's like, yeah, so does a manager at Starbucks. Right. Here, so <laughs> not throwing shade at the manager at Starbucks. I'm saying like, yeah. it's very pretty doable. And so I just uploaded my American tax return. And they're like, cool. I just renewed it a few weeks ago. Now I'm on the digital digital. Person. There's a oh, new thing yeah, for new one. engineering people. It's basically the same thing, but for engineers who made some money. I'm like, cool. Okay. So I got that. And then the government added me to like a Facebook group. And then the government runs all these cute little events. And if yes. there's any problems, you just send an email and they just help you. I'm like, exactly. this is great. Like, when this is America, you know how many? So I see people complain. I'm going to go on a rant here. I see people go, go. complain, usually Americans. <laughs> who've never left the country. Damn Americans. Okay, yeah. let's go. So I see people complain about like how the government's not helping to attract immigrants to Taiwan. And they'll be like, oh, setting up a bank account was really hard. Oh, it's like impossible for me to get a credit card. Oh, blah, blah. And like, you know where else it was impossible for me to get a credit card? Mm. America. <laughs> mm. It took me a year to get a credit card in America too. That's interesting. That's really. everywhere. That's the whole world. No matter what country you go to. I don't think so. I think America was giving away credit cards like candy. So they give it away if you're American. If you have another, pa this is true any country. Right. And it makes perfect sense when you think about it. If you have another passport, what you could do is you could just go to a country, take out a bunch of money and leave. Sure. Because you have more than one passport. So mm -hmm. that's why they need you for like six to 12 months to like, Yo, you're gonna like we're not gonna give you credit. You just got here, dude. So that's a common one I see people complain about. And whenever I see someone complain about that, I was like, that's everywhere. Uh, and then I also see people complain about low salaries here mm -hmm. and like not as good jobs. I was like, well, the whole point of the country bringing in highly qualified people is it's. I feel like it's our job to figure out how to make the jobs. Hmm. Like the reason why they are making it easy for someone like me or someone else on a gold card or like some, some like Steve Chen or Kevin Lim to come in is they're like, Hey, we don't know what to do here. You guys seem smart. Can you just come over and then maybe something will happen? Maybe it won't, but whatever, like, or like it's better, like worst case scenario, we take some tax revenue off you. Best case scenario, you make some jobs. So that's kind of my thought too. If, if you're in this country or any country on like a special visa, the point is you're supposed to be a little special. And if you're special, you should be able to figure it out. Do you opinion. think anyone's figuring that out though? I Do you think know so. of any people who are actually doing that? I think Steve Chen's doing a great job. Uh, he's, because even if the main thing he's doing, because uh, I met him a few times, really cool, friendly guy. And he's working 
right now, the main thing I've noticed him doing is he runs like a monthly meetup for tech people's goal cards. It's like, that's great because his background, he's the one who started one of those co-founders of YouTube. And so people will listen to him and which is fair. <laughs> I mean, he's more inspiring than me. Like I have a, like a funny story. It's a fun, interesting thing to listen to on like an hour long podcast, but like, and I can like, uh, I help, uh, run the digital drinks event with Harrison. Right. And so, but people aren't coming to the digital drinks event because James Hush is running it. Right. <laughs> They're not like, Oh, there's this guy from California. They're no, no, there's like, Oh, cool. There's like drink specials here on a Wednesday. That's the main thing here. So I think having people like Steve Chen here, even if it's just <laughs> him just showing up and just being like, look, I'm here, I'm doing stuff. That's something in the right direction. Uh, other people who are doing a great job, I would say is the guys at uh, the people at Pick Collage. Have you heard of that company? Mm -hmm, of course. They're actually one of the company I work for is Daily. They're one of Daily's customers. And so that's how I kind of met them because I help support them. whenever they have technical problems. They, it goes, the support messages go to me. But I've been at their office a bunch of times and it's a really nice office and the vibe's really great. And the vibe's almost the same as when I was working for a California tech company. So it's not as hierarchical. Uh, that word? Yes. I'm just a native <laughs> English speaker. <laughs> and they're like genuinely, I can tell they're genuinely like trying to just make a cool place to work. Like that's their goal. I'm like, that's great. Because even like my hometown, we didn't have anything like that. Did they transplant from abroad and then do something new in Taiwan? I don't, I don't know their kind of origin story. I believe... And they'd be better people to talk about. I know they've been around for like 15 years or so in Taiwan. Right. Okay. Uh, they're originally from, I think it was like four co-founders. And I know at least three of them are uh, from the outside. I believe they all have Taiwanese spouses. Right. <laughs> of course. <laughs> so that's, that's how you get here. <laughs> of course. Uh, they came here and they did some other stuff until they kind of came up with the Pick Collage app. And that's what kind of was feeding everything else. And now mm. they make a bunch of different apps. Right. that are all in the cool social media video editing world, photo editing world kind yes. of thing. So speaking of those difficulties in the United States, you had one company that screwed up on your visa. Yeah. Uh, and then there was another company. And that's another company that's quite interesting to talk about anyways, which is the NFL. Yeah. So I was working at the NFL for two and a half, three years Worked on the NFL.com redesign that made it work on mobile. So that's great. Yeah. <laughs> so, and then also worked on the Android and iOS apps. Huh. Yeah, that was really, I learned a lot. Before I was working at the startup and I was working with children, including myself, <laughs> I felt like NFL when I started working there, I'm like, oh, you have four people doing the same thing like me and one other guy were doing. That makes they more actually sense. Have money, real money. Oh, yeah. That, oh, yeah. That makes sense. Oh, because you really want this to work on the Super Bowl day. Oh, okay. That's. <laughs> So I learned how to make software that works at the NFL because that's that's so interesting, right? Because yeah. that's not traditionally a tech company at all. NFL, we don't think of it as no, such. they're not. Right? They are a media company right. through and through, and it was a great, super great experience uh, because I worked with really smart people because they had money, so they could pay really smart people to do smart stuff, <laughs> and I was like. Uh, pretty much just a step above a junior engineer at the time. I was pretty young, so I got to learn a ton. Working in the NFL, when I worked at Microsoft, I told people, people were like, oh, that's pretty cool. You worked at Microsoft. I told people back home I worked at the NFL. They're like, bro, Whoa. are you kidding me? Dude, you became you more famous than a metalhead. Dude, yeah, they're like, <laughs> people lost their minds. They're right. like, 
<laughs> They're like, are you serious? And I'm like, and so the obvious questions were, do you get to go free football games? Kinda. So the story behind that is at every single NFL event, there's always like really random jobs that you could give to like an intern that like hand out t-shirts or whatever. Right. And so one of the benefits of working there is you could apply to work one of those like random jobs. Like you hand out t-shirts for an hour and a half and then you get to watch the game. At the game. Yeah. And so I did that at the uh, the draft in Houston. Ooh. So it was my job along with five other coworkers, six of us during the draft, NFL draft in Houston, we had a really crappy internal website. And so it was our job that when they announced the player, we click on the select box for the player name, click on it. And then the person sitting beside you would confirm to get that person, click submit, and then it would update our website and all our apps. Oh, wow. Just kind of like, quote unquote, real time draft. It was real time. It was it within was six time, seconds. Yeah. Okay, okay. I see. It. And that's the same fee that Fox and everybody used too. And so they trained six of us to do it because we do it in like shit because it has to work. Right. And it's real time. <laughs> yeah. And so I think once a week for five weeks leading up to it, we practiced doing the draft. Right, for right, an hour. right. Mock drafts. Yes. And the first two or three times we practiced it, we found bugs on the site because oh. we only use it once a year. Right. Right, right, right. <laughs> and we right. fix them. <laughs> Oh, wow. Okay. Um, so that was like, that's how close you got to an event is behind the scenes at the draft. Yeah. But I got to go to the party. Got to go to the after party with all football players. Oh, nice. was, I got to wear a really fancy suit too. Okay. It was great. It was great. <laughs> and it was funny because that was probably the most important thing I had done at the company. Oh. It was one of the easier things, but it was objectively because <laughs> if you click on the wrong name, Oh, that's, that's a nightmare. It's a nightmare. That's a nightmare. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why they got six of us. Cause we would do like half an hour, two of us, and then we'd switch seats. Right. Do a half an hour. So nobody would get tired because you got to focus. <laughs> and you have to have like kind of an expert in football next to you to confirm who that person is. Because I'm guessing some of you geeks had no idea. I had no idea anything are, about right? football or any of <laughs> exactly. those people. I was, so I, in the interview, they asked me, so you a fan? I'm like, I'm a fan uh, of JavaScript. Okay. <laughs> and they're like, ah, I like, <laughs> like the cut of your jib. I'm like, ah. <laughs> so I, did, I didn't know anything about football when I was there. But uh, but you made it work. You clicked yeah, on all the right players. Yeah, I clicked on, I clicked on all the right players. Okay, good. that's a good thing. And what about the Super Bowl? We were talking about kind of that shift to mobile. Can you explain more about what that was? So at the time when I first joined, when you went to NFL.com on your phone, it still had a desktop view. There's oh, no mobile. Okay, right. And I remember being like, really? Like, this wasn't that long ago. This was like maybe seven years ago. Like they should have had this done like probably 10 years ago. Right, I'd right, say. right. And so I was part of the team that changed the homepage and the articles page to make it mobile friendly. Mm, uh, okay. Which again, it has to work perfectly when it first comes out. So we did that. And I also worked on the video player for Superbowl.com. Oh, Okay. And so this is like the video player. So when you went to superbowl.com, if you had like a visual impairment, I was the one who made sure that it was completely accessible. So you could control the whole video player with your keyboard. Okay. And it would do the screen reading and everything perfectly. I see. Yeah. For the Super Bowl itself, or is this for like all NFL for games? For the homepage and anything to do with the video player. All accessibility I did. Wow. So I learned a lot about accessibility. Yeah. I learned a lot about how poor the accessibility is for other websites. Ooh, <laughs> so, interesting. 
that was a good experience on that side. Yeah, I think that kind of dovetails with a lot of the work you're doing now, right, at Daily. Yeah, so Daily, my day job is uh, solutions engineers. We sell a video SDK. So we sell, with two lines of JavaScript, you can add video calls to your website or app. So because I'd done a lot of stuff with video over the years on different projects, I ran the engineering team for an online virtual events company. Well, I did an interview for these guys. This is actually the easiest interview I ever did in my life because <laughs> I did the interview because <laughs> they looked at the resume and they're like, okay, cool. So what I did was I changed my resume to highlight every video project I did. So that's another pro tip for anyone interviewing for jobs. Don't apply for a hundred jobs, apply for two a day, but put the same amount of effort into those two jobs as you do for a hundred. Right. Customize that. Yeah. So I customized the crap on the resume. So right. you looked, if you look at the daily resume, you're like, this guy has like 10 years of video experience, exactly, which is technically true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's uh, what you're focusing on, right? Yeah. That's what I was focusing on. So it's the easiest interview I'd ever done because within 15 minutes of the interview, I just told them like, look, I ran the engineering team for Remo. I used your competitor. I didn't like your competitor. Okay. Here's the reasons why I didn't like them. Mm. I see on your website, you solve every single problem I had with your competitor. I know exactly how all your customers are going to feel because I'm a customer facing role. The guy I interviewed with turned into my boss within 15 minutes. He's like, man, you should work here. Like, oh. He's like, we have a coding test too. He's like, I'm pretty sure you're going to pass it. He's like, I'll just schedule an interview with the CTO. You can do the coding test in between. He's like, I'm, I have no doubt in my mind. The CTO is going to like you too. Oh. <laughs> and then I just did the same pitch. I prepared my like three minute, tell me about yourself story. Right. I just made sure to highlight all the video stuff. And they're yeah. like, cool, just pass the coding test. And they did the coding test. It was pretty easy because it was like half sales, half engineering role. So they didn't need a wizard. They just needed an honest hard worker who could actually move the ball across the finish line. Right. So I passed out. They're like, okay, great. Oh. <laughs> so it was, uh, took like two or three months to get the job because I did like five or six interviews, but it was still one of the easier tech interviews I'd ever done versus mm. uh, Google or Microsoft where they, they ask you many questions. rounds and the last time I did a qu behavioral uh, questions. Last time I did a like a Google Microsoft Snapchat interview, they asked the questions like, oh, you have two fruit baskets. Yeah, Each fruit exactly. basket <laughs> can hold only one fruit at a time. Write a program to tell me how many fruits you have in each fruit basket as you walk by every single fruit tree. And there's up to five different fruits. There's bananas, apples, oranges, and pears or whatever. I did that one. This was a real question yeah, in the interview. That was a real question. Pain in the butt. It was a pain in the butt. But they said, write a program. So you have to write the code in front of oh, them. Oh, wow. And I get nervous when I write code in front of people because I'm a normal human being. <laughs> <laughs> what language are you writing? I just do everything Java. I bet okay. my whole career well, on Java. Java. I bet my whole career on JavaScript, okay. which is what you use to make websites right. 10 years ago. Because I'm like, I'm pretty sure websites will keep being a thing. Right. And so I just so you're all in. Triple, I triple down in JavaScript. And then I, uh, before I joined Daily, I was thinking about, do I go into crypto or do I go into video? Ooh, okay. Like, that was the fork in the road right there. A fork, I'm like, because I know crypto, there are people making money there. Sure. And like, and I'm 99% sure crypto will still exist in 10 years. Mm. But then I'm like, I'm 100% sure video will exist in 10 years. Right. So that's why I went more on video so 1%, side. So 1%, you went yeah. to... You went to video. I went the Taiwanese, <laughs> the Taiwanese way. What, exactly what is again. guaranteed? I was like, I want a hundred percent likelihood of getting a four percent return on this investment. Exactly. <laughs> I don't want a ten percent chance of a twenty x return. That sounds nice. yeah. That's that's out there. That's wild. Okay, but you were seriously entertaining the idea of going into crypto. Yeah, because a lot of really smart people work in crypto. So ninety percent of crypto companies are scams. I'm going to say that right now. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe ninety nine. 
Sure. Yeah. But the 1% that aren't scams have some really freaking, I've close friends working at some of these companies like Coinbase and Chainlink and Ethereum found to all those places. Be careful. There's, Maybe in two years, we're going to see a scandal with all these. The people working there are like, there's like two kinds of people working in crypto, generally speaking. There's ones who are just trying to make as much money as quickly as possible. And then there's ones who are like already rich and are just like genius PhD engineers. They want to do crypto as much as I want to be a stand-up comedian. Mm. Like, like this is, there's no, they're not doing crypto to make money to go be a stand-up comedian later. Like this is, this is it. That's it for them. <laughs> this yeah. is it. And that's a big reason why I kind of transitioned more towards customer support and sales than just pure engineering. Because I started working with these engineers who have 20 plus years of experience. And then I realized I'm like, this is what they want to do. This is their metal band. They care about this. This They care a lot. Right. And they care a lot more than I'll ever care. And so just like how I felt when I went to the $5 metal show in Los Angeles and mm. I saw the guitar player 10 times better than me, I was like, oh, there's no way I'll catch up. That's how I feel with a lot of the engineers I work with now. I'm like, oh, no way I'll catch up. Like, oh, that's there's, interesting. There's no way. So. so you are kind of more customer facing now, pulling back from like the hardcore engineering backend stuff. Yeah. So okay. I, I'm kind of like a teacher is a good way to put it. So it's me and a salesperson. For any of the pricing questions or anything like that, like really traditional sales stuff, they'll talk to the salesperson. But because we sell to engineers, there's engineering specific questions. For example, they might say, oh, does this work with Nuxt.js? Right. And then the salesperson turns to me and is like, let's ask James. <laughs> and I say, yes, it does. And like, sounds good. Okay. <laughs> and we could they get back to it. So questions like that, you don't want to bother the wizard engineers with those questions. You need them... <laughs> You need them to just be wizards. You don't want to talk to them in the at dungeon. All. Let coding. Them, yeah, they're very important. You don't want to waste their time, right? Because it's so valuable. And then you can't expect a salesperson to know all this stuff. It's too much trivia. Huh. So you're really kind of just bridging that gap yes. in a lot of ways. So the same way, like a Chinese teacher bridges the gap. Like my wife, she teaches Chinese, and there's different levels of Chinese teachers. A great example is. I asked my wife, like, oh, how come in the MRT signs, some of it's like in pinyin that I understand and some of it's like in this, how come Kaohsiung's with a K? Like what's going on yes. here? And she's able to explain it. It's like, oh, actually there's different kinds of pinyin. Ways this was fast, done in yeah. this history, yes. da, 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 da. I was like, oh, how do you know that? She's like, oh, because my professor told me that to be a real Chinese teacher, you should know this in case your student ever asks. Mm. I'm like, oh, that's really cool. So I'm kind of like that for the tech side. If a customer asks me the equivalent of, oh, how come Kaohsiung spelled with a K? I'm able to respond versus a salesperson's not going to be able to respond to that. Nor should they. Right. Because a salesperson needs to focus on being friendly with me. <laughs> like they, they, they got the relationships that are so valuable, like mm. super, super valuable. Some of the salespeople I work with have been in this industry for like 15 plus years and they just like friends with everybody. It's crazy. They're like, oh, this customer, you mean Steve? You mean, oh yeah, I talked to Mark last week. <laughs> like right, I went, right, right. Like, you know, I go drinking with Steve on Thursdays, right? Like bad level of relationship building. How can you explain what you guys do at Daily? to kind of a non-tech person? Because this is really like B2B, right? Developers for developers. Um, but how can you explain what you guys are running, you know, kind of behind the scenes? So you're in luck because I just came back from visiting my wife's family during Chinese New Year. So oh, so you can do this in Chinese. So, no, Beautiful, can, here I we go. I can do this in, uh, in the simplest English possible. <laughs> it's like, we're kind of like Zoom, but white label. <laughs> Okay. So if you want to make your own version of Zoom or Microsoft Teams, you use us and then you change the colors on the logo. Exactly. 
white labeling means you can fully customize this yeah. to your own specs. Yeah. So as an engineer, you just change the logos and the colors, bing, bang, boom. There you yes. go. You want a telehealth app? It's basically a video call with telehealth colors. You want online virtual events? It's a video call <laughs> with a different layout. And so it's your job to do the layouts and the, change the colors. And it's our job to handle all the complicated video infrastructure stuff that's too much of a pain in the butt for you to deal with. SDK stuff, yeah. API stuff. Yeah. We don't want to get too technical. Don't, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but very simply, that's what you guys are doing. So another way I think that people might be able to understand are some use cases. You mentioned some of them like telehealth, but can you kind of dig down deeper and explain how other companies are using your product? The simplest use case is if you're using Line, and you did a line video chat. Ideally, I want to meet the person. If you're listening, person mm. at line, please reach out to me because I want to work with you because <laughs> I think we could do a better job with your video chat than okay, what you have right now. I think go. we can help out. I think here's we can help the sales pitch. So, so they are listening. So, if you're at line, please reach out to me. Let's talk. What are you going to do for them, sir? Their entire video chat, basically. <laughs> that would, you How could, about their whole app? Oh, not okay. their whole no, app. That's not just, your, just okay. the video Sorry. chat. Because Line as an app has so many other things to do. Yeah, so many other just, just issues, the video but... chat. So video chat, that's the main one. Telehealth is just video chat with a doctor. So right. it's still video chat. Online virtual events. So if you were doing a webinar with 10,000 people, that's us. If you wanted to make something kind of like Twitch, you could use us. <laughs> anything to do with real-time video. You as an engineer, you don't have to deal with all the servers or anything like that. You get the two lines of code. And if you get confused, you send an email to the support team and I answer it. Mm. <laughs> That's how that works. Mm. Okay. What are some interesting things going on in the video world these days? Most interesting one is we've got a customer called Playback. They're great. First of all, they're so easy and fun to work with. So that's the main one. But what they allow you to do is watch a sports game with a different commentator. And so you have these uh, like influencers on these different social media platforms and they'll use playback. And instead of listening to the normal host for an NFL game, you can see them commentating on the game. They can do things like pull other people from the audience onto the call. Oh. On it. So that's the unique one. Another one that I've seen is virtual offices. They have it set up where you can walk around an office and when you walk into a room, a video call starts. Right. So kind of like a like an RPG game you're walking mm, around. Those right. are like the cool, fun ones. The ones that are bringing the biggest bulk of the business generally been like telehealth, right? online therapy, online coaching. fitness, coaching, that kind of thing. As per usual, like most things in business, usually the simplest <laughs> simplest ideas bringing the most money but then every once in a while the creative ideas blow up out of nowhere right also live streaming live streaming too that's something we handle on our side as well that sports case is a good example for live streaming video shopping we've seen yeah that's mostly in asia exactly uh but it still might Do you be see a thing an uptick in, in that in kind of the Western world. One of our previous guests, a very high level CEO working on that kind of stuff, e-commerce in China. Yeah. And he's actually kind of pivoting towards the U.S. market since they have been quite behind. The main company in that space is called Whatnot. One of my close friends works there. Actually, the guitar player from my metal band. Oh, it all goes back to the metal band. <laughs> the guitar player from my metal band, he's the engineering manager there. And that's what they do. They basically do the KOL Asia thing in America. They've worked with like Post Malone and everyone. And they do exactly that. Huh, okay. So they've been like the biggest player in the space. I know Instagram tried to do it and then just kind of gave up. It's caught on well enough for whatnot to do very well, but it hasn't exploded nearly as much as Asia. I don't think anyone knows why. <laughs> yeah. Huh. So you don't have an answer for us. 
I, I can tell you how the video works. My big thing, you want to hire me when your problem is we have too many customers, James, the website is crashing because there's too many customers. I can fix that. If your problem is we don't have enough customers, I'm like, oh, well, not... give me a call when you do <laughs> and I can fix the website. Right. Yeah. Okay. So what are some of those biggest difficulties actually in terms of maybe the tech behind the scenes for video? And so the biggest, so my day to day is helping customers integrate and the biggest difficulties in tech are the same biggest difficulties as anything else in life, Kane. And that's getting people to get along with each other. <laughs> that's, that's funny. The biggest, and it sounds like bull crap thing you say on a podcast right, right. to like be like, oh, actually the core problem is human, human connection, blah, blah. Right. It, is. it is. It is. So I've learned one of the things that makes me good at my job versus like a normal engineer. And I kind of downplayed my tech side, but the hardest part of the job is getting the customer to trust you to actually listen to the advice you're giving. Mm. I know you do some coaching stuff too, so this yes. probably rings <laughs> rings very true. Hundred percent. Is anyone doing any sort of coach? Anyone who's had a friend complain about a crappy boyfriend or girlfriend to you, and then you're like, you should just break up with her, and then they don't already knows this. But this is <laughs> the same thing that happens. So getting the customer to actually believe what you say is in their best interest, right, is the number one key. Because if the customer follows our docs, the documentation and recommendations, it will work mm. because it's like it's programmed I've, to work. You guys I've are spending helped, money to make it work. Uh, we have like a thousand plus customers, right? It's like right. if the whole thing was crashing, we would have told you <laughs> if our servers were down, we would we would have known because we would have had 999 plus other customers yell at us. Right. So a lot of it's on the communication side. I've learned a lot of things. So one kind of cool tip is whenever I talk to a customer, I never say your code has a problem. I'll say, say the company's name is Herp Derp. Oh, I've noticed Herp Derp's code has these issues. Mm. <laughs> because first of all, if you say you, the other person might think, oh, you're blaming the person. Right. But in reality, there's like usually 10, 20 other engineers and it's never anyone's individual fault, really. Mm. Yeah, unless it's completely egregious. And so the big one was, we just now point to this third entity. <laughs> now it's like me and you, we're, we're gonna fix together. Herp Derp's problem. Right, <laughs> right, right, let's, right. Let's work together here. That's a big one. And then instead of just, for example, if I spend like four hours making a fix for something, I'll spend another hour plus writing down exactly what I did, exactly why I did it, and then recording like a five minute video because people don't like to read. Mm. And recording a five minute video going through it. And the reason why I like sending videos over instead of just text is when you see someone with a dress shirt and glasses and say, like, hey guys, it's uh, James and Daly. I was just taking a look at the code here. I think I found some issues. I'd love to hear your feedback on this. Uh, so I've noticed this. I'm not quite sure what's going on here. Hopefully one of somebody on your team can mention why it's like in the meantime, this is what I did, but I'm completely open to changing this because I'm genuinely not sure. Like this is your code base. I want to make sure it fits in with your style and like going through there. Oftentimes I'll start those video little recording things. I use a tool called Loom for yes, the screen of shares. Course. Yep. I'll always make sure I mention the person's name. Uh. So I'll be like, oh, hey, Steve. Or like, hey, Akil. And for names that I don't know how to pronounce, I'll type into Google. <laughs> And I'll find on YouTube pronounce. how to pronounce because I know if you say the person's name, especially if it's a name that's harder to say, then they're like, oh, yeah, <laughs> this guy this feels guy, good. This guy feels good. Maybe yeah. everything else he says is good, too. Hopefully. Exactly. So that's where like 
I mentioned earlier, like the crossroads of performing arts and tech. This is uh, where the performing art, performing arts really kicks in. Right. Uh, it's the art of customer service. Yeah, because a lot of, not all engineers, but there are a few engineers I've worked with where I'm like, if we can't put this person on the phone. Mm. <laughs> They're too, too straight. They're too like, oh, this is wrong. Right. This is wrong. Right, right, right. And so some of my coworkers, they see the efforts I put into making little videos and the text. They're like, Why man, are you doing this that? is so inefficient. I'm like, right, right, right. I know, but the most efficient way is the inefficient way in this case. I like that. Okay. So I think that's a great segue into AI or any other tools yeah. that you're kind of using to facilitate these interactions, right? These human to human interactions. You know, we're in that tech gold card group. I've noticed you mentioning things about LLMs. We talked about that before as well. So what about AI? How much AI things or other tools are you using in your kind of workflow? So I was real stoked when the first chat GPT thing came out. I was like all in. I'm like, this is going to change the world. This is amazing, blah, blah, blah. And I think it will. But I realized after about a month or so, I'm like, this is not going to replace coding. It's it's not. I wish it would. It would be great. It's <laughs> Where, not there yet at all. And I don't think it ever will be 110% of the way there. What it is helping with is uh, a lot of the customer support stuff. Because in my experience, people don't like reading the docs. They don't like reading documentation. So we have great docs. I know they're great because I read them every day to answer customers' uh, questions. Interesting, so right? I know they're good. I know they're easy to find stuff because that's how I do it. So, that's where the answers are. Yeah, that's where I've been finding the answers. <laughs> exactly. And so before the LLM stuff, uh, common workflow would be customer asks a question that I'm 99% sure is just in our docs. I type into Google or I type into our docs search and then I copy and paste the chunks that they need and send to the customer for like level one stuff. Okay. AI's helped doing level one stuff amazingly. It answers all the level one questions. We're using a tool called kappa.ai. And what that does is it's chat GPT, but it's being told to only, instead of looking at the whole internet, you're telling it to only look at your docs page, your already answered support tickets, and your internal like wiki page and your NRMS Knowledge board. base and yeah. The four knowledge bases. It's exactly. Like, don't answer the question with anything than these four things. Right, right. Because that's what I did my before. I was that's looking at those four, yeah, I was looking four things. Targeting that. So what AI has helped a lot is now instead of either them getting a later response, because it'd take longer sure. for me to do it, yeah. or them getting not as good of a response because I'm just copying the links to stuff. Uh, now we can do things like it gives a code example using exactly what they're asking for. A really simple code example. Now I'm able to do things like copy and paste the question entirely and get an answer that's like 95 to 100% correct. 95% of the time. But we still need the human in between for two reasons. One, these LLMs still do this thing called hallucinating where they give an answer that sounds extremely confident but is wrong. Just like a human. Right. <laughs> Just like you. <laughs> so we got to fix that out of the way. And then the other reason why I think everyone's job is going to be customer support, customer service in 10 years, there's still really big enterprise customers I work with where I talk to them on a video call once a week. They could write questions whenever they want. We have a shared chat room. Right. They could put they, it into a bot, but... No, they want to talk to me on the video call once a week and ask all the questions during that time on the video call. Right. And they want to spend five minutes talking about their day and five minutes asking me how my weekend was first. <laughs> so for the big enterprise customers, what I'll do is they'll ask questions <laughs> over the video call. I write them down and then I put it into the AI bot, figure out the answers and then 
kind of organize it, organize a little bit and then get ready for that call. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. And that's never going to change for the big customers. And this is going back to what I was saying earlier. If you find like 10 big customers, the big customers don't want a chatbot. They want you to be responsible for the chatbot. They don't want to spend the extra 15 minutes to make sure the chatbot's right. They just want it to be right all the time. The only way to get it right all the time is have someone, a human being responsible for it being right. Double all checking. The time. Yeah. Yeah. So the chatbot will be 95% right. But when somebody wants 100% and they want to spend zero effort, they'll pay quite a bit extra for that. And so that's where I come in. I'm responsible for the chatbot on that side. So no worry for those people out there no in worries. customer service. You will not be replaced. If you're level one and you're being lazy, you're going to get replaced. But if you're a good, honest worker, what you're going to do is you're going to get promoted. Hmm. <laughs> Customer service with a smile will still win the most sales deals. One of my close friends, he went from engineer to solutions engineer to sales to VP of sales, and now he's a landlord. <laughs> so right. it's a nice trajectory. It's very. I'm I'm trying to get to the same trajectory here myself. Right, right, right. <laughs> um, and he just had a kid. His kid's two years old, and he's like, "I'm just going to teach my kid to be a good person." He's like, "Because mm. that's I've realized." It's all that matters. Revolutionary. It's all, he's like, it's all that matters. Revolutionary. He's like, because if you're a good person, people want to work with you. And he's like, that's all sales is. <laughs> he's like, he's like, if you're a good person, then you'll make friends with an engineer. You'll make friends with a marketing person. And then you'll make friends with four customers. He's like, what else do you need? Because <laughs> you make hundreds of thousands of dollars a year just doing that. It's like, or if you're really smart, which I just figured out, he's like, is you'll just sell real estate because then you don't need any engineers. <laughs> Exactly. So speaking of that, you are right now in that customer facing role. You just mentioned that trajectory of your friend. Yeah. Where are you in that journey? Do you have kind of these next steps as well? I, I, yeah, that would be great. <laughs> the more I could focus on talking to people, the happier I am. <laughs> it's, mm. it's, I'm, I'm happy on that side. So I'm very, very, very very, very happy with myself that I decided to learn a lot about computers when I was younger. Because part of forming relationships is you want to be able to give more than you receive. And me, I just know all this random computer trivia. Like I can fix anybody's like WordPress site. Like, mm. <laughs> so I have a lot that I can give away for free. And that was a big way how I met one of the YouTubers in Los Angeles. His name was Warren Heward, produced like a pro. He sells online courses on how to write and record rock music. And like, I'm not good enough to be a session bass player for his videos. Also, that's not a very valuable skill. There's a million people trying to give him free session bass player stuff. Mm. But boy, whenever he had a WordPress question, <laughs> I chimed right at right. Like, how come this domain's not working? Give me a sec. <laughs> and then in return, he would invite me to cool parties. Mm. I was like, there we go. Everyone's having a good, everyone's having a good time. Yeah. So you can add value there. Be useful. Yeah. So being useful. A lot of people say it's not what you know, it's who you know. Right. I think that's like half true. Because if you know a bunch of useful stuff, you're going to meet a lot more people. <laughs> like I know how to fix all these video issues, right? Way easier for me to help out a CEO of a telehealth company than like somebody who's just friendly. The just friendly person can like get coffee or hold stuff, which is still really helpful and important. But if your video call isn't working, <laughs> you just text me. I'm like, oh, check this, 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 and this, and this. It's, it's just like being friends with a car mechanic, mm. right? Uh, car mechanic guy, especially in Los Angeles, probably has friends with a ton of rich people because <laughs> rich people hate fixing their cars. <laughs> so. But the core thing is being a friendly, good person because I've also met 
people and sure you have too, especially some engineers who are technically really good. Right. They're like annoying, like super annoying. No, it's like, I've never met those. Oh, it's, it kills me too. Cause especially as I gone further in my career, I've gotten texts from people who are now managers and they're like, Oh, so-and-so just applied for a job. I saw on LinkedIn, he worked at the same company as you. Is he cool? And it's always, is he cool? Right. It's not it's about not, their resume, their like, tech he, prowess. Yeah. It's not like, how good is he at JavaScript? Like, right. is he cool? And they always say in like a really serious voice, like, is he cool? And there's been times where like, yeah, this guy's the coolest person in the world. Like hire him. Uh, he's not great at this thing, but he's great at that thing. And he's chill. Right. And there's been other times where I'm like, like let me get on the phone with you. And I get on the phone with him. I'm like, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah hang up the phone. Like this is me living in Taiwan, people in Los Angeles texting me. Like it's a small, very, 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 very small, small world. Small, small world. Especially Taiwan, the island. It's Definitely. Small. Yes. It's like you gotta be you gotta be careful here. Yeah, exactly. Okay, perfect. Uh perfect segue. Uh speaking of meeting people, making connections with interesting people or maybe not so interesting people, either way, you are also involved with this project called Taiwan Digital Drinks. Can you explain a little bit about this, how you got involved with this, what exactly this is? So Taiwan Digital Drinks got started by my friend Harrison Kim. Um, Shout out. Shout out to Harrison. He's awesome. He's a Taiwanese Korean. He came from Shanghai to uh, Taiwan during COVID. And uh, he just realized there was no tech meetups. (laughs) There's no. So in Los Angeles, San Francisco, you have like JavaScript drinks. You have SQL drinks. You have C Sharp drink. Like it's all very, very specific. And he realized like there's literally nothing right. here. So he started at the time he was trying to start uh, a coding bootcamp. And so he was like, I guess I'll start by running events to generate leads, basically. Mm, exactly. Like what's the easiest event I can run that gives value? It's like digital drinks meetup, go. So he was running that every quarter for the last few years. I met him about a year into him running it. And uh, we ran some events together. Uh, I was running some engineering workshops. So stuff like how to set up a landing page, uh, how to set up Visual Studio Code, like intro to JavaScript, really simple stuff like that. Okay. Because at the time, I was going to try to run all the events myself. I read like, oh, you should start a mailing list. I spent a week trying to start a mailing list. Realized starting mailing lists is a pain in the butt. And then I went instantly like, whose mailing list can I use <laughs> instead? <laughs> and so I knew the digital drinks. The met, power of leveraging. Yeah, I met Harrison. I was like, hey, I don't want to start a mailing list. I tried for a week. This sucks. I'm like, I'll do all the work. I just need you to send the mail and like show up the day of and just like hold stuff, please. Like, that's it. Like, here we go. So we're doing some events together there. About a year ago, he moved to Korea and he was still kind of running the event from Korea. And then a few months ago, he was like, this is so hard to run while I'm in Korea. I just need somebody in Taiwan to do this. And I was like, oh, yeah, I got this. <laughs> like, So we're working on putting together one end of March. We don't have a date lined up right now, but that's going to be on a, if you want to know about it, go to TaiwanDigitalDrinks.com and sign up for the mailing list. Okay. Uh, so that's all going to go up on there. And the whole idea there is to just have more cross-pollination. Ha- yeah. Have more, event, have more reasons for tech people to go out and talk to each other. Right. Because a lot of the tech people here work remotely. Um, In their own silos, basically. Yeah. Including myself. So, uh-huh. yeah. so it's a good way for people to just catch up with each other, other. And I've met you probably at like three or four of these yeah, networking events. Exactly. Because you show up to most of them. Yep. I show up to most of them. Exactly. And if you show up, eventually, if you show up to six in a row over six months, you start finding the foreigners who are, oh, they're staying here. Right. <laughs> like, <but they're, laughs> 
<laughs> like, exactly. What have you been up to? Oh, you've still been here. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, you're, oh, you have a wife now. Oh, you're probably going to be staying here for a while. It's like, yeah. Exactly. You're getting married in the year of the dragon, are you? Yes. Yeah, so, like I'm getting married in April 20th. Ooh, 420. 420. Lucky day, apparently. It is, it's apparently. A, a very lucky day. <laughs> wow. All right. So have you been meeting some interesting people from these events? There's a, an array of interesting people. We define the word interesting multiple different ways. <laughs> exactly. I met some interesting people. Everything from guys who are definitely just unemployed, right? Uh, who are running agencies. No shame, because I did the same thing. It's fine. <laughs> I did the same thing for like a year. It's fine. Try my best. To uh, some really interesting solopreneurs who found some really interesting hacks. Like I found one guy, he ranks on Google for number one for Dream Explainer, something like that. Oh, really? And so what he's done, he's made a website that's, I forget exactly what it's called, but he made a website that basically glues into chat GPT. You just write what your dream is and then it explains it. Oh, that's interesting. And then he generated like 500 blog posts about different dreams. And that's how he's getting all his traffic. No way. Right now. Those are the real interesting ones that they're like, this found like a glitch in the matrix. Right. They're just making money. And then you meet, I've met a couple of people who've started traditional tech I'd say traditional as a non-VC funded companies and some people have some VC funded companies here too. There's a good mix of people. There's enough people here who want to do stuff where I feel like it's worth staying. And the other interesting thing about Taiwan over San Francisco is there isn't too many people. So there's like a big fish, small pond thing. So I've been able to meet a couple investors who just came here to travel for three weeks and they'll post in like the gold card group. It's like, Hey, I'm here for three weeks trying to talk to some tech people. And then I'll just get to go out for coffee with them because they're like, oh, wow, there's only like you and five other people. <laughs> like, I'm like, cool. Right. That access is immediate. If they're here in Taiwan, like traveling, they're here probably visiting family or like doing some leisure stuff and they just want to meet some people. Right. Then it's, uh, it's like, oh, I'm here. It's like, I have a Taiwanese wife. I'm going to be here for a while. <laughs> so it's good. What do these events look like? Where are they? What is the usual capacity of these events? So for uh, Taiwan Digital Drinks, the main ones are generally about 100 or so people show up. So a good amount of people. It's broad spectrum of just people in different tech industries. Generally, we try to find like a nice rooftop bar with kind of nice cocktails and keep it classy and fun on that side. Mm. Uh, but it's really, really just all about meeting people and just have an excuse. I like to use these events whenever I'll meet different people in different situations and like, oh, do you want to meet up for coffee at some time? I'll be like, oh, well, there's a digital drinks events coming up in a week and a half. You just want to meet me there. Right, right, right. It's right. a really good event to invite two or three other people that you've been meaning to meet. <laughs> exactly. it's, the, it's the best place to go. <laughs> so I think that's part of the reason we've had successful turnouts because a lot of people use it as an excuse to invite two or three people. They've been trying to get their schedules to work for like three weeks. Like, oh, just here, it's already set up. We just got to show up. We provide the venue and uh, have the audience of other people. So it's, it's a good way for other people to keep bringing other people. So if anyone's interested, they can pretty much just sign up. The events are free. You just have to buy a drink, of course, for the venue. They're either free or they're real cheap. Okay. Depending on the venue we're at, usually it's something like you just have to buy a drink. I see. And how many more are you guys planning to have this year? You said there's one coming up in maybe next month, but... The plan is to have three more. We've been doing one every quarter and we want to keep that up. Okay. Quarter's been a good, we've noticed is a good amount of time. Right. Too frequently, you're not going to have that turnout. And Too frequently, won't have the turnout. And we're starting to play with the idea of running more exclusive events for different verticals. Okay. So digital drinks is a catch-all. It's sure. like 
do you do something with computers? Are you an investor or whatever? Just show up. And from there, we're starting to play with the idea of running more curated events. We don't have any of those planned out yet, but that's something I personally want to be able to start running like 10-person events, 15, or keep it really small. So That's in the we, pipeline. Yeah, so that way we have the bigger ones that everyone can just bump into people, and then we have ones where it's like more curated. Okay, so yeah, I've seen you at several of these events, and another place where we have bumped into each other is at 2-3 Comedy. Yes, of course. We are getting there now. This stand-up comedian of ours here in front of us. I think I first saw you, I believe it was Ron Jossel. Ron Jossel, yeah. You opened up for him, right? I opened for Ron Jossel, yeah. Okay, so that's where I saw you. That's where I first saw you on stage. Tell us about stand-up comedy, this journey of yours. So when I was in Los Angeles, I was doing tech presentations. There's an event called JSLA, JavaScript Los Angeles, and they would get three to four people. Super geeky. (laughs) Get three or four people, and you just give like a 20-minute talk about something. And so I, I did that like two or three times. But I realized deep down inside, I really just want, <laughs> really just want to be a comedian, right? Mm. Uh, but I was too afraid to go up right on stage, so I signed up for like an eight-week stand-up comedy class in Los Angeles, and you it did was the Taiwanese way. Did Taiwanese way as least risk as possible, a hundred percent chance of a four percent return. That's what we're looking for. Exactly. Go to the bushy bun. Yeah, just go get to the, the bushy bun. You get the training, uh, which I like. A lot of the comedian guys are like, "Oh, you should just like." Go just by get up feelings, there. just get up. Come on, Improv. dude. It's so scary. Like, what are you doing? Super. If you're not scared, like, come on. Like, what's going on? So uh, this is a boot camp. It's a eight week. It's eight weeks. Is like once. Or, I think it was like once or twice a week. Okay. One of the comedians in Los Angeles was like, "What's teaching it?" Amazing. But it was really just the basics. It was like, like what? The first day was okay. Everyone stand. And give us a three-minute story about something that happened this week. Okay. Holding the microphone. I see. Yeah. Get comfortable. Like literally. Hold the mic in front of people. The first, yeah. Like literally. Just, just introduce yourself. Introduce sorry. yourself, basically. <laughs> you showed us like, okay, here's what you do. Take the microphone off the mic stand and make sure you move the mic stand away. Oh, I see. <laughs> see okay, this is SOP right here. Yeah. Step like, cool. one. I'm down. Yes. That was good. And a couple of weeks in, we got into like writing some uh, news headline jokes and little things like that. But it was really just about here's an excuse to stand on stage in front of six people in the most safe environment. Nobody here is drunk. No one's going to heckle you because there's only six people and they're all going up next. Yes. Right. <laughs> so that was, that was good. So I got started there. Did a couple of shows in Los Angeles. I always tell people your first show is fine. Because you're mm-hmm. prepared. Yes. Second show is pretty good too. Because you just do the same thing as the first show. Right. Third show you got to watch out for because you think you're good and you're not. <laughs> so third show, I like did all new material, bombed completely, stopped for two years. <laughs> Dude, I know you told me about this last time. I don't want to dwell on the negative. Yeah. Let us dwell on the negative. Yeah. yeah. How bad was it? <laughs> it was like, a lot of it's like blanked out of my brain because of how it was bad. So we were at this venue near UCLA. I forget what it was called. I don't know how I, I'm like, there's this girl with me. We weren't dating. She met me at like a coffee shop because I was like writing jokes at a coffee shop. And she asked what I was doing. Whoa. I was like, that's LA. That's cliche. Yeah. Super cliche LA. And like, so like I brought her along and she's like, Oh, I know about this place. Uh, we should go together. I'm like, okay, cool. So, and there was like 15 people there as a Tuesday. It's like a bar. Fun. It was like, no, it was kind of like a, it's not a comedy club. It wasn't exactly. a club. It was like, a, I think it was somewhere where the UCLA drama kids would do oh, stuff okay. or something. I'm okay. not exactly sure. There was no alcohol there. And then 
like she was like heckling every single person who was going up and she was sitting beside me. And so like I was getting dirty looks because they thought that she was like my girlfriend. I'm like, oh, I'm like, this is no way. Uh, yeah. So that was tough. So she was doing that. And then, uh, yeah, she had some <laughs> she had some issues for sure. <laughs> I, had, I had some issues for taking her along. That's for sure. right. 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 Uh, right. And then I went up and I did some new material and then I made a joke about Bitcoin or something, which obviously that alone is the dumb. That's idea. hard. Yeah. There's a guy in the back who's extremely drunk on a Tuesday and there was no alcohol being served. So I right. think he was homeless and he just Lucky yelled you. like he just yelled like I made six thousand dollars on Bitcoin. And then I was on stage. I had no response. Oh, and then I just kind of fumbled and then I got off and I was like, and then I stopped. You didn't have the audience work class yet. I didn't have, yeah. <laughs> work the room class. You you didn't make it that far. I didn't far. make it that far. I didn't make that far. In the boot camp. <laughs> yeah. I should have taken part two <laughs> before going up. How to deal with hecklers, part one. You, yeah. I see. I know how to deal with them now, but before I did not know. Wow. And so I stopped for two years. I started again when I came to Taipei. The reason why I started again was I was working on a, at a 45 minute talk on uh, engineering management, like mm. how to run engineering teams. So I was trying to get speaking gigs doing that and I was having a tricky time. So I'm like, I just need practice being on stage. I'm like, what's the easiest way to get practice on stage? I'm like, let's show up to the comedy club. Let's do because, some open mic. Yeah, because if I can do there. open mic, I can talk about engineering management after. Like this is- <laughs> That's doing, amazing. Doing a tech for like, I am not the funniest comedian, but boy, I'm the funniest tech presenter. <laughs> By like a large margin. What percent? I'm not sure exactly, but a large margin. Quantify it. Well, like I, I prepare my speech. 73.5%. Well, I prepare the presentation ahead of time. That's first. Most tech people don't do that. True. True. <laughs> I don't just read the slides either. So, and so then like, you just blow them out of the water. Yeah. So I blow, like whenever I do a presentation at work, it's like. You're killing. You're kill, killing. I there. kill it. Yeah. I, I kill. I kill customer presentations. You kill, kill. those engineers. I, yeah. Oh, it's they no, don't even know what hit There's them. no chance. No way. Yeah. Because uh, even because when I do, I'll do presentations over video. I have a teleprompter. When I look at the screen, I make eye contact to the camera. Sure. Yeah. So yeah, I, yeah like yeah. little things like that. So I'll put my script on the teleprompter and then I just crush. You're text just crushing it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, crushing this customer service. Yeah, I like customer service call. Oh man. No, like they're getting a free show. What I've learned from comedy that I apply for customer service, it's like not even I've I've talked myself down on some other stuff. I'll <laughs> give myself this. Like I I crush at this. You uh, kill it. Yeah. Oh man. So I learned that from comedy because crushing comedy is much harder. I know. It's much harder. Yeah. That's scary. <laughs> Especially after bombing for the first time so traumatically that you took a two-year respite. Took a two, yeah, I took two years off. That's insane. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. That's some deep reflection there. Yeah, that was deep <laughs> reflection. Now I, now I bomb probably once or twice a month. Like okay. that's normal. But you never really get used to it. But you expect it more. <laughs> right, 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 right. Like it doesn't hit you like a tidal wave. Yeah, you don't give up for two years. You, I think <sighs> there's one time I think I gave up for two weeks once a few months Here ago. Here in Taiwan, yeah, I just did really bad. Was, oh, really? I know. I just, what kind of event was this? It was a, just a Wednesday open mic. There wasn't that many people. Okay, but like I just, I just, I forgot my set halfway through. Oh, really? I don't know why. I was like, and then I stopped for two weeks. And I came back. <laughs> what happened? Like, I mean, when you forget your set, what did you do? You just froze. I froze for a bit, and then I just said. Oh, well, I forgot what I'm going to say next. Oh, damn. 
Yeah, but that's okay. That's what I've noticed. He's got to be honest. Oh, well, these were all new jokes and I've forgotten what I got to say next. So give me four seconds to check my phone. I'm going to say a joke that I know is funny. And then right, 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 like right, right. Yeah. I've seen someone at two, three do that actually. Yeah. For the, so the Monday and Wednesday open mics, that's when people test out new stuff. The Friday shows, everyone comes with stuff that they know is good. Right. So when I did that showtime, I did like the Ron Jostle show that you saw. Yes. It's like I had jokes in there from like 12 months ago. Right. And like, I'm like, like tried I, and true. I'm like, I know this works. Yes. And I'm like, if it doesn't work, it's the audience's fault. Cause I've seen this work. <laughs> this works 99.5% of the time. So that's a Jay this. Leno model. As you mentioned to me last time. Yeah. So Jay Leno. Yeah. He's been doing the this. same. So when he was on the tonight show, he still did stand up comedy once a week in Hermosa beach. And he never touched his tonight show money. He only, he wanted to keep himself hungry. So he only spent the money he did doing stand up. Oh, he kept like separate accounts. Yeah. Okay. So smart, it's just like just man. like a Taiwan Taiwanese wife. <laughs> two different smart. accounts. Yeah. yeah. It, two different accounts. So uh, he's been doing the same set for over 15 years. That's crazy. And he's just got he's got nailed. And so someone asked him, he's like, oh, why don't you do like a HBO special and ethics special? He's like, oh, spend two million dollars to record something that I'm gonna get paid like three million dollars to do when I'm when I can do the exact same set for like $50,000 a night over right. and over again. It's like, no, thank no you. Way. I got this. You cannot record this. I'm like, no, no one's recording this. He's like, these are all good. <laughs> I think a lot of people forget that is, I was talking to Sam, the owner of the comedy yes. club. Yeah, shout out Sam. Yeah, he's awesome. Previous guest here. And he said, really? He's like, you really only need like 20 great minutes. He's like, because most of the club, if, when you start doing the small tours, they really only want you to do like 20 excellent minutes. They'd rather have you do 20 great minutes than like 40 okay minutes. Right. Because if you do 20 great minutes, they put on a couple more open micers. It's fine. It right. Because everyone everyone has at least five minutes. Mm, right. Of course. Yeah. So yeah. everyone's got five. So you only need 20. And I've talked to a couple of the touring comedians come through here that Sam's brought down. Joe View. Uh, I open for him too. Basically, whenever there's a Canadian comedian, I oh, get to open. Okay. That's your spot. <laughs> That's uh, pretty You much. got that taken care of. Yeah. Okay. I'm the only Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> well, so he's from Canada too. Oh, yeah. It's like subtle racism, but yeah. it's beautiful. How about, how about those truckers? Uh, <laughs> Justin Trudeau is really annoying. Oh, uh, like, like, so it's. Wow. So. I was talking to Joe View about the same thing. He's like, honestly, he's like, when I started doing touring, he's like, I only had 20 minutes. He's like, I had 20 minutes for about three years. Wow. Okay. He's like, it's fine. <laughs> huh. Yeah, we talked about this last time. I thought that was also very interesting. The balance between craft and art. So the craft is, in my opinion, as the engineer, it's, it's like out. the most important thing. The Taiwanese thing. side is coming out. It's the, like, it's the most important thing. Because the way I see it, doing comedy is very similar to, it's a service job, customer support. It's just like being any sort of service job. It's not about you. Mm. It's about you make everyone. They've booked Friday off. Maybe they got a babysitter. They bought the tickets. They got in the MRT. They came to the comedy club. They bought a drink. They want to be entertained. They're trying to like they're trying to laugh. They could have stayed at home and watched Netflix. Sure, but they're coming to the show and they like paid money. So it's your job to entertain them. That's your job. Right. It's like it's my J job to help fix computer stuff. It's my night job to entertain people. Right. One pays it's a lot more than the ego. one pays a lot more than the other. I'll leave it to the audience to guess which one. Right. Does. Yeah. So a big problem a lot of open micer people make, and a lot of people give presentations in general. So this can apply at corporate presentations too, is which is fair. They make it about themselves because they're nervous. And so when human beings get nervous, as all humans, they start to be defensive on stage. So the first natural thing you want to do is you want to push people down to make yourself look higher. 
which is the reverse of what you want to do in comedy. Right. So one of the tricks for comedy, and this works for any presentation really, is to like make fun of yourself a little bit as quickly as possible. Self-deprecating. Um, just a little bit though, not okay. in an awkward way. So I have a little thing. I'll say something like, Oh yeah, I know. I kind of look like one of those seven hundred dollar an hour Bushivan teachers. <laughs> See, it's funny, <laughs> All right? Because I kind of do. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> I'm not making fun of an English teacher. It's just like somebody who's dressed like this is right. either an engineer or a seven hundred dollar an hour Bushivan teacher. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, so it's little things like that where a lot of people they'll start, especially if they're beginner, they'll start instead of making fun of themselves, they'll start making fun of Taiwan. Nah, uh, this is not the. Don't go that deep that, that quickly. D- don't go that deep ever, really. Right. Like, why not? Like, why take the risk? Right, 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 <laughs> right, right. So, you stick to the script. Is yeah. So yeah, you know the people in the audience, they're from Taiwan, or they're probably have a Taiwanese significant other. It's like you don't need to make fun of it, mm. right? Uh, remember, the goal is to make them feel entertained. The goal isn't make yourself feel safe it's right. to make them feel entertained the first thing i always remember any sort of presentation is fig- remembering what the goal is and how i want the audience to feel so in a comedy situation is i want them to laugh <laughs> that's it very clear mm. for a sales presentation is probably like i want them to feel like this is a safe bet or i want them to feel like if they go with this they'll get a promotion the first thing is to stop thinking about yourself and think about others that's the big one and that's where a lot of People make a mistake, especially a lot of the comedians. They start saying things like, oh, comedy is my therapy. It's like, no, it's not. It's a service job. Uh, interesting. <laughs> you yeah. have to write jokes and say the jokes. Right. <laughs> That's and, your job. And you could use that fodder, that therapeutic fodder if you need it. But you have to keep your eye on the goal. Yeah. The goal isn't to make yourself feel better because you feel depressed. Right. The goal is to make a joke about feeling depressed so people laugh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like That's, yeah, that's exactly. the whole thing. Yeah. That's number one thing is. Remember, you're here to serve the audience. And then working backwards from that, well, what's the best way to serve the audience? Oh, well, how about prepare in advance (laughs) so you don't waste their time? Mm. So, well, how do you prepare in advance? Probably makes sense to write the jokes down. I know some people who don't write the jokes and they do fine. Not very many, though. (laughs) 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 Like the ones, like I've seen Sam's notebook. It's just jokes, 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 all written written down. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So what about your process? And not only that, you were mentioning another one of those Taiwanese stories, the engineering story, is you really did your research. You went deep, you found books, took courses, and all of these kind of things as well. Can you explain a little bit yeah, about so how that went? I'm, I'm very, I'm weird in this situation because usually you talk to people who do, especially stand-up comedians, because a lot of them like don't want to do traditional things, and that's okay. But after about three months of open mics, I only had one good joke. And I was like, you know what? I kind of want people to laugh the whole time. Right. <laughs> right? Not just that first time. <laughs> like, let's let's go here. So I literally I typed into YouTube, like how to write jokes. And I found uh, this guy named Jerry Corley has standupcomedyclinic.com. He used to write for Jay Leno. Okay. And he used to write 150 jokes a day. That was his day job Ooh. for the monologues for tonight's show. Okay. So he had a book and he also does online coaching on Zoom for comedy. I was like, cool. Because I want people to laugh more than zero times. Right. Like, <laughs> so you went to the joke Bushiban. Yeah, I went to the joke Bushiban. Some of the other comedian friends that I have also had some books they were reading and doing research who were like really into the writing side. So I read some of the books they recommended too. Unsurprisingly, it helped a lot. Just like if you want to improve your Chinese, go to a Chinese teacher. If you want to lose weight, go to a trainer. If you want to get better at sales, get a sales trainer. Right. Like I'm a big fan of just paying people who know more than I do mm. <laughs> to like save me time to exactly. get better. He taught me like, uh, especially his book, taught me a, 
like a bunch of little small things that all added up. One of the techniques I really like the most is this idea of listing. So a joke is kind of like a premise and a punchline, right. set up punchline. And so what a lot of people make a mistake is they try to make the setup funny. The uh, setup doesn't need to be funny. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> the setup is just setup. Right. And that's why you'll see a lot of these uh, talk shows and TV shows and everything. They'll do headline jokes because a news headline is a setup. Setup. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And so one of the good headline, there's one that was like in Colorado, they did the very first church of cannabis. And so that was the headline. Right. Colorado announces the very first church of cannabis. Okay. And so from there, you write down church cannabis with two uh, on two different columns. Then you write down everything about church, everything you can think about about cannabis. And you just, I would write down like a hundred words right. on each side. And take a hit. And then no, I don't, see what oh, not no, no, cool no, no. enough I to do drugs. You're not cool enough. Not <laughs> cool enough to do drugs. <laughs> and so one of the ones I came up with was Colorado announced the very first church of cannabis. It brings a whole new meaning to the word Ash Wednesday. <laughs> but, <laughs> That's good. Yeah, I like good. that. But I the like reason that. why That's it's good. good. Yeah. So the way I came up with that was I wrote down church. I wrote down like, Christmas, Easter, priest, Ash Wednesday. I was like, oh, Ash. 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 Oh, dude. Oh, yeah. There's the joke. And there's the joke. Yeah. So that's the punchline. That's that's the thing. So that's what Jerry Corley taught me. That was a big way. He's like, this is how I wrote 150 jokes a day for Tonight Show. Wow. It's like news headlines and lists. He's like, that was the main 80% of what I did. That's and amazing. That's a lot like, of lists. And yeah, and that's the thing. So I have all these lists on Notion on my phone. <laughs> you'll just see like you showed me your you'll workflow. You'll see like a hundred plus words, and then you'll see like two bold words. Like, right, oh, right, this, right. This. Put oh, those two together. Oh. And so that takes work. For sure. <laughs> that takes, yeah. That takes effort. And like a lot of people don't want to put in the effort. And that's okay. But that's how you get the really, really tight jokes. Is. Coming back to what we talked about before, I guess AI, chat GPT can help a lot in that it process. Does. So I've started using it to help with the lists. Right. I'll tell it to write a list. Sure, exactly. And that, that helps, even if it writes 10 for me, that usually helps get your brain jump started to write right. the other 30. Yeah, that's been helpful on that side. I've been using that for some stuff. Uh, but ChatGPT does a very bad job of writing jokes. Huh. If you tell it to just write a joke, you read it and you're like, this sounds like- ChatGPT. This sounds like somebody who doesn't know how to write a joke writing a joke. Right. It was like, okay. I check every every three months or so to see how funny the chat GPT jokes are. And then that's Have when I know. Have been able to get one? A usable joke from chat GPT. So we did- Straight uh, from the box. So we we did, uh, Sam, he wrote an episode of the Taipei Tonight Show. So there's an English language, Jimmy Fallon style Tonight Show. On Taiwan Plus. On Taiwan Dennis Plus. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Of course. With, yeah, Dennis. Yeah, with yes. Dennis. Yes. And so- I was asked to get on that show on the episode that Sam wrote. And the reason why <laughs> was the other comedians, they needed somebody with an open work permit. And the other comedians were all Bushi Bond teachers. Oh, they and were $700 an hour. No, some, they looked some, like you, but some they, are a thousand. Like oh, uh, right, some, are fa true, some are fancy, true. but they couldn't be on the show because it was like, it was a paid gig. It paid like nothing. Right, <laughs> of course. But it paid more than zero. So legally, they needed someone with an open work permit. Sure. And so my friend Jake, we did a segment where it was Steve Chen that he was interviewing. Dennis was interviewing Steve Chen. Okay. One of the segments was, can Steve Chen, we had Steve Chen read jokes generated from ChatGPT. Oh. And so Sam went to ChatGPT and got a bunch of jokes to spit out. And uh, they're, they're all kind of dumb, but right. they're, they kind of worked. 
Oh, wow. So, okay. So that was one. And how did Steve do? <laughs> Steve's great. Steve's, he does a great job, job in every podcast, I think. Was he supposed to discern which ones were generated by ChatGPT? So is that for, the- For that segment, he just had to read them. Oh, I see. It was okay. like, this is like- I see. So there's talk show humor and club humor, very different. <laughs> talk show humor, you got to think like, they've had a hard day at work. They just want to laugh at something light. Mm. No swearing, no fancy just like dumb puns. Right, right, right. Everyone, because right. like going back, it's a service job. Sure. Like dumb puns. Now's not the time for creativity. Right. <laughs> uh, we're thinking inside the box here. Exactly. You shun creativity. Yeah, on this one. <laughs> no creativity <laughs> allowed. Yeah. And the club stuff, you can get a little bit fancy. But mm. even then, you want to just write jokes at the core of it. One of the segments on this television show was uh, we all pitched a startup idea to Steve Chen, and he had to guess which one was a real startup. Oh, and so my buddy Jake, he wrote a pitch deck on something called Wagwaren Wingman. It's like, oh, it's an app. You hit a button, and a foreigner. Wagwaren, I see foreigner wingman. Okay, a foreigner will come to you and pretend that your English is good to impress your parents. Oh, that's hilarious. Uh, so we're like, you're on a date, and you want to impress the girl. Just hit a button, and then the waiter will ask you for directions and be like, oh, his English is really good. Like that was the, that was the joke. Did you guys write that script through ChatGPT or no? No, no. So that okay. was Jake wrote the, he made Concept. the pitch deck. Okay. He was supposed to present it, but he was a Bushibon teacher. He couldn't do it. I see. And so they called me two days beforehand. So I took his pitch deck. I wrote a couple other jokes around it and I wrote the script and then I did the pitch like real. I pretend to be real serious. Oh, wow. <laughs> and okay. I did that with, uh, that was the first time I met Steve Chen. Was <laughs> at that thing. Oh, really? And then I met him was again. Your first time on TV as well? First time on Taiwan TV. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I've been on TV a little bit in my hometown. It's like, I bet news. Hardcore Windsor fame over there. No, yeah, it's like nothing. But that was the first time I met Steve Chen. And then a month later, I met him at a tech meetup. I was like, oh, I'm actually a real engineer too. Right. <laughs> I know, fancy seeing you here. Yeah. Uh, oh, wow, okay. So you don't think ChatGPT will take over joke writing as well? What do you think about that? It's gonna, it's gonna help. I think eventually it might, but not this week okay <laughs> not next year right it's going to help a lot with for live performances the people who put in the most effort are still going to get the most results for sure right and so the ones who are just using chat gpd to generate stuff for every one person doing that there's going to be people who do that plus put in 100 hours a week exactly and then those ones are going to be they're going to raise they're going to yeah. crush right and the other ones are going to be okay yeah. But people's not going to pay attention to the okay people. They're always going to pay attention to the ones you crush. Mm. So I think that's going to be on that side. And my biggest kind of worry on the LLM stuff is more of the... Uh, large language model. For yeah, the, the large for language AI stuff is the uh, like virtual girlfriend stuff. That makes me nervous. Oh, I just saw a <laughs> news story in China that's kind of trending here in Taiwan, of course, about these virtual boyfriend apps. Yeah. With these avatars and they kind of speak into them and the boyfriend responds and says, don't worry, baby, I'm here for you and something comforting. So it's a huge thing. Apparently it's a huge trend right now, kind of trending in China. Yeah. That part makes me nervous. Mm. Like not for me, but for like future for kids. For me. Nah, I got a, <laughs> I got the wife. I got a, the wife. In a couple of 420. Yeah. So I technically got married on paper. In December. Oh, so you are you are tied down legally, sir. Legally, we got to go You're to done. the DM. We got to go to the government to break this apart now. So, right, getting married the same day sounds really romantic, but then 
you zoom out and you're like, oh, right, I'm a, real life, real adulting. life. I'm a adult. And <laughs> in order to get this paperwork through, I got to go to four different places as a foreigner. And if we do this before the end of the year, I'm pretty sure there's a tax implication. Yes. Oh, also, we're signing a lease together for an apartment and her parents will be happier if we just sign. So it's all these things. All you're these like, oh, it's just adult stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's just, exactly. It's like, oh, also, after our wedding, we're going on a honeymoon. And it'd be cool if we figured out like a will and life insurance before the one. Like, oh, it's really yeah, boring it stuff. Yeah. Exactly. And you're like, oh, okay, well, this isn't romantic anymore, but whatever. Okay. So what about these virtual, virtual boyfriend, girlfriends that it worries you? Well, I think already there's the accessibility of like pornography uh, is way too accessible. There's now. No, there's not enough Google Guardian in the world. Yeah. There's not enough internet filtering. <laughs> if only, if only somebody would jump on the internet filtering. No. Exactly. Uh, I'll be honest, like one of my big motivating forces to become somewhat successful <laughs> is like I wanted to get a wife and a girlfriend. Like we went to a good school to learn a good thing, to uh, get a good job, mm. to make a good amount of money, mm. to live in a nice part of the world, mm. to, to get golden visas, to do what? Get a girlfriend, get married. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> really at the end of the day, if you zoom it all out, that's really the trajectory is. And so when you have something that is it's just like video games are doing drugs it's almost like a distraction from the main line of life uh, where you have dopamine hits from pornography or video games or drugs that distracts you from what i think what i believe is really the key source of happiness and fulfillment is actually accomplishing some sort of family goal mm. in life i think that's what i'm guessing and i know it's not for everyone mm -hmm. but i have a feeling it's for most people mm. So this is your engineering brain anyways. That's me engineering it <laughs> in my brain. Cause, right. Yeah. Cause from what I understand, what I see, like having those easy dopamine hits in the short term, it's great. But then you look back on your life 30 years later and you're like, uh, <laughs> like what, what did I really do here? Mm. So you think those virtual boyfriend or girlfriends are just temporary dopamine hits? Yeah. You well, don't think they can be sustainable. I th so that's the, the issue too, with the population decline. Uh, in the world too we need like already like taiwan's taiwan writ large yes and asian countries in general not just asian countries I but mean, especially Europe, asian countries yeah. lower birth rates and that kind of thing and a lot of that can you can get distracted on the other side so this is already kind of happening with OnlyFans, where especially guys are paying money to like talk to these girls but in reality speak for yourself yeah <laughs> but in reality <laughs> it's like whenever they do the chats with the girls they're really just chatting with other guys. <laughs> right, exactly. So, That's funny. Now, being able to scale that with LLMs mm. makes me a bit nervous on that side. I think it's going to be tough to, like, because me, me and my wife are planning on having kids in the next couple of years. Right. And now I'm starting to think about that. Like, like how am I going to deal with social media and kids? Yes, Right. Because exactly. I remember I'm not very, I'm not old at all. And so I had like MSN Messenger, AOL Instant Messenger when I was in late grade school, early high school. And there's drama happening on that. And we only used it for like an hour or two a day after school. <laughs> like I couldn't imagine having a phone all the time and the drama that could happen there. So it's going to be interesting parenting in the next 10 to 20 years. I know. What part of that freaks you out the most right now? I mean, you haven't had children yet, but as you said, that is something that's kind of in the pipeline as well. Yeah. But are there any specific things that kind of worry you at this point? Well, the goal is like going back to what my close friends said, the goal is to make sure that they're a good person. Mm. If you're a good person, 
you'll make money and have a good life if you're a good person. Because worst case scenario, you can do sales, right? Uh, and if you really don't want to do sales, you can go into engineering. <laughs> like, like you can do both. You can do one, the other. And it's trying to give people, especially give my future kids, the experiences they need to learn how to be a good person. The only way you can do that is by talking to people in real life. Mm. You can read a lot on how to talk to people and that does help a bit. But at the end of the day, <laughs> you got to graduate from that course. You got to, you got to get, yeah, you got to stop taking the stand up comedy class and just exactly. go on stage. You just got to get on that mic just yeah. like we are here now and suck for a while. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And so the sooner you can suck at social, cause I sucked at social interactions growing up. Like I've, I was engineer first. Right. Right. So and I had to like, it was, it was tough, especially like being a single guy in Los Angeles, 22, dude, it's, you can't couldn't find a date on a calendar. Like right. it's, it's, right? uh, good one. can't even find a date on a calendar. It's exactly. like, it's, you gotta like, there were dark days. They're dark. Very, yeah. It takes dark years, dark years <laughs> for real. Yeah, and like yeah, yeah. pretty much every, every guy can, unless they're like one of those guys who's born good looking, it's bull crap. Sucks. <laughs> I'm jealous. But for the other 99% of us, we just kind of just had to figure out how to read a couple of blog posts and watch a couple of YouTube videos. At the end of the day, you still got to go to the bar and talk to the girl. And in grade school, high school, and work situations, you can read everything about conflict management. By the end of the day, you still got to go into the room and fire the person if you're a manager, right? Mm. So the sooner you can go through those experiences, especially as a young adult or a child, the more grace people will give you. A 22-year-old screwing something up, you're like, well, <laughs> he's 22. Right. That's okay. 32-year-old screwing something up, you're like, that's mm -hmm. a bigger problem. And then 42, uh, 42, you're like, dude, dude, which is, dude. Yeah. That's all people say behind their back, dude. Or in front of them. <laughs> but yeah. So the sooner you can have those experiences, the better. And then get them out of the way. Yeah. But if like my future kids spending their time playing video games, doing drugs and or talking to their AI girlfriend. Right. Who will just like put up with everything because a real girlfriend's not going to put up with that real girlfriend is going to put There'll up be with some very feedback. little. Yes, yeah, exactly. I got some feedback this morning when I put the, the wrong, when I put the banana in the wrong trash fan. Right. Yeah. yeah. Immediate feedback. <laughs> Immediate feedback. Right. With some emotional yeah. tinge to it. Yeah. <laughs> Just a little. <laughs> I think that's really, really important mm. uh, because that's what's really, what I really like about the education system in Canada, the way the engineering system works at university is every other semester you do internship. So I did a four-year degree in five years, but I had 16 months of internships. Nice. And yeah. Boy, if you want to screw up on the job, you definitely want to screw up during your first or second internship. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you definitely want to like accidentally make a mistake with a boss on your internship they're going to be around for four months on. Of course. <laughs> then you can just reinvent yourself on the second internship. So by the time I got into the workforce, I was able to fumble my way around four different internships. I think that helped tons not just on learning the technical skills but learning the you have to like sell ideas to people you have to uh worry about people's feelings <laughs> like, like super 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 basic stuff mm -hmm. if you're just playing video games just doing drugs and or talking to online girlfriend like fake girlfriends fake boyfriends you're not mm -hmm. going to get those experiences so that's what i really want to make sure my kids can get right and, so don't be too cool that's what you're saying don't be too cool <laughs> Engineer. I stopped. I stopped worrying about being cool a long time ago. <laughs> a long time ago. Once I got that engineering degree in the first job, I'm like, I don't care about being cool anymore. So, what about where location? Um, because again, you are from Canada. You failed to get your HB1 visa in the United States. Mm. 
but you have connections there. And of course your wife is from Taiwan. So yeah. have you guys thought about kind of where to raise the kids? Does that matter? And is that something that you guys are actively thinking about right now? Would be Taiwan. Okay. The Taiwan is because almost no drugs, almost no guns, okay. almost no gangs. There you go. There you go. <laughs> nice and simple. It's not cool. It's not cool. <laughs> it's not cool. But like for real, for real, like when, all the other parents are sending their kids to Bushivan. I well, we will too. Yeah, yeah. I want I want everyone to study. Yeah, this is great. We're all on the same page. You want your kid to study. You want your kid to study. Great. Exactly. I want my kid to study too. Engineering, anything. Because what I've realized is you can do the the most artistic arts thing in the world, and then worst case scenario, you just teach it. If my kid want to be a dancer, I'd be like, great, go be a dancer. If you're not a famous dancer by 18, you're gonna go teach dance. Mm. <laughs> I'll teach you how to set up a dance studio. It's very basic sales and marketing. You're going to put up flyers in every single diamond ring store. You're going to offer wedding dance classes and you're going to charge them three times more money than all your friends are charging because anything to do with weddings, you can charge more money. Like, bam, there you go. It's the lesson from earlier in the podcast yeah. is focus on those core customers. Of course, those few ones that are very valuable. friends with three wedding planners and five diamond stores. You can be a dancer for the rest of your life. Same with my kids. I'll be like, you study whatever you want as long as you study something. And because even if it's something that doesn't seem practical, the less practical it is, the more rich people who want to learn it for fun. So calligraphy classes, great one. Right. Great we talked one. About that. They love exactly. rich people love learning calligraphy. It's and their favorite it. thing. They love buying calligraphy. Can be expensive. Yeah. So yes. you want to be an artist? I'd encourage them to be calligraphy artists. Right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It can be lucrative if you're good. So yeah, that, and that goes back to most jobs are still service jobs. Sure. And so you can do cool, fun art stuff on the nights and weekends. And then during the week, you just do the practical art mm. stuff, which is calligraphy classes and teaching people wedding dance. Right, right, right. Yeah. Okay. So you will be here. Yes. Forever. My last guest, Giogo, the saxophonist for Jay Chow. Originally, as soon as he got here, he said, I want to die here. Once he got his kind of uh, work permit oh, nice. and artist visa. Yeah, he knew immediately. He's from Brazil originally. But what about you? Is this kind of now that you're settling down, getting married on 420? Is this your foreseeable future? Is life in Taiwan? The plan is nine months here, three months Europe. Oh, okay. Summers Europe. Because have, summers here suck. You have ditched Canada from your heart. We're not. It's it's too... Canada's great, but it's too cold in the winter. Mm. I'm just not about it. Right. Okay. It's, you're not about that life, sir. Not. A, I don't want to go skiing. So you're talking Southern Europe then? Yeah. My my family, the my parents retired to Spain. Okay. So after the wedding, we're going to Spain for a couple months and then Italy. Beautiful. I just think it'd be cute to have like two kids and take them to soccer camp in Spain. Mm, right. And then they bad. learn Spanish from like the streets. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then they get, they make sure they get robbed when they're nine. For a small that amount real of money. life experience. Yeah. Exactly. To teach them that, hey, you can't just put your purse on the table like you can in Don't Taiwan. Don't do that like in Taiwan. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> different countries, different things. In this country, people steal things. For sure. 100%. So, little things like that. The let important them, lessons. And then fall on the safety net. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. So that'll be in Europe. That's the ideal. Yeah. Because my family lives out there. Where in Spain? Uh, Malaga. Malaga. With all the other retired British people. They're yes. British. Oh, okay. And so they just eat British food, watch British television, go yeah. to the British pub. That is very, yes. They know how to say newspaper in Spanish, so they know how to buy a newspaper. <laughs> and then <laughs> everyone's happy. I see. Okay. Nice. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for coming in here and sharing all those stories. First of all, I wish you 
and Zoe a wonderful wedding coming Appreciated. up on 420. We're getting married at the same venue as you. Exactly. Yeah. At the same venue in uh, Yao Mingshan. Yao Mingshan, yeah. Exactly. Can we say the location? Uh, sure. Otherwise, you're yeah, going to have fans. Gonna, uh, we won't like have, outside. I don't think Paparazzi outside it's be on 420. Brickyard 33, where all Brickyard the other foreigners 33. get married. Where only the coolest ones get married, actually. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be amazing. So congratulations. Congratulations on being such a good person as well. <laughs> Try my best. Thanks so much. And hopefully you can pass that on to your children. Yeah. Yeah. One step at a time. Exactly. One step at a time. Okay. So yeah, thank you very much again for sharing all these stories. Thank you as well, everyone, for listening in. So we wish you all a wonderful day. Peace.